1: Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? will last forever. The Stanley Cup final on ABC and ESPN plus begins Saturday. This
3: is the Carker and Smallman podcast powered by I Promise. Now here's Carakker and Smallman.
4: And welcome to Carricker and Smallman. Michelle is out today. So it's Randy and Dan McLaughlin with you. 701, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler on an absolutely pristine day in St. Louis. supposed to be 70 degrees, Dan. It's going to be a perfect day if if your golf course is open on Monday. It's a good thing. Or if you want to just get
5: out and spend some time outdoors. It is gorgeous. We had a gorgeous weekend. Uh, I mentioned on the game yesterday... And people were tweeting at me like I was crazy. I said, you know, it might even be warmer in St. Louis than it is down in Florida because it was 25-mile-an-hour winds down in Florida. And it was breezy, and it was really windy, and we saw that wind come into play in the game yesterday. Wind aided triple for Jose Altuve. And I'm going to say that it wasn't a wind-aided home run for Tyler O'Neill no, because he's, he's got spinach in his veins. You know, it doesn't matter. He's Popeye, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter with him. That's a great nickname for him. Popeye. <laughs> Bulging Pop- muscles. Popeye O'Neal. <laughs> Cardinals did
4: win 8-5, to five and that wind-aided triple was off the bat of Jose Altuve. Otherwise, Adam Wainwright in his three innings was sensational.
5: Wanted that pitch elevated, got it there, and a strikeout. The RBI for Bradley, half inning in the books, one nothing. Mark in the majors since he arrived in 2016. And right on cue, he strikes out. Had a boy Waino. Old Uncle Charlie, he still got it. Played a little second base to get his bat in the lineup, and he strikes out here. So back to back K's, three and two innings so far for. Adam Wainwright. Martine Maldonado and the 0-2 is a called third strike. Four strikeouts today for Adam Wainwright. That's Yachty back there being quiet too and getting the, the call from our home plate umpire.
2: Yeah, it looked like a strike to me anyhow. Maldonado not happy about it, but you're right. I mean, one of the best receivers in the game.
4: Goodbye.
5: Five strikeouts for Adam Wainwright. I guess when you're 39, you have an idea as to how to prepare. Man, he is just uh vintage Waino bueno in these first two starts. And that's how you go through spring training. You just get out there and get your work in. You're efficient. And he has been now, second time through, Randy, the most efficient of all these guys. He's going to be 40 at some point this year, I guess in late August. July, yeah. August, whatever it is. He's been the best. I mean, you got all these young guns trying to throw 100 miles an hour. Doesn't matter. Wayno goes out there, and he looks great. Um, He had the cutter working. He had old Uncle Charlie, as you heard, and he's been really good. And that was some of the best uh, in terms of some of the best players the Astros could throw at you. They had uh, Correa out there. They had Altuve. They had Brantley. So, I mean, it's their normal lineup there, and he's he's shutting them down. So he looks really good here early on. And after the game, Mike Schilt said – Hey, we brought the guy back.
4: Young pitchers making some learn something.
6: Yeah, I think Adam's um, putting on a a nice uh, clinic of how to go about your, your business. Um, true Wayne O-esque. Really good pace in the zone. Multiple pitches in, out, up, down. Change of speeds. Um, you know, it just works. And, uh, you know, he's done a nice job. He also, like I said, another positive example of um, for everybody in camp to, to look and see what that looks like. Everybody's got their own different arsenal, but everybody can uh, – we'd like for everybody to have the similar recipe of working with some pace without being rushed, and, uh, but definitely commanding counts and throwing your pitches and trusting your stuff
4: in the zone. And Dan, you're around this team every day, and you see how all the pitchers do watch each other. So I I say that young pitchers can learn from him. They do. They they
5: sponge from Adam Wainwright, don't they? Absolutely. And the the one that I think of the most that follows him and follows him like a puppy dog, and I mean that in the the best of terms, is Daniel Ponce de Leon. Last year, Daniel went to him at one point and said, Waino, I mean this with all due respect. How are you doing this? (laughs) Like, how are you doing this? Like, I can't do this. What are you doing? And one of the things Wayno said is, you can't worry about the last pitch. It's over. And he equated it to being a golfer. You hit a bad shot. You can't do anything about it. You give up a home run. You can't do anything about it. And there were two starts last year, if you remember, Randy. He gave up a home run early in the game. And they were down like 3 nothing, something like that, 4-1. And all of a sudden you looked up in the seventh inning and then the Cardinals were leading that game and Adam Wainwright is still in the game. That's what he does. He's able to uh, compartmentalize things and just say, hey, you know what? That was then, this is now, and stay in the moment. And he's so good at that. A couple of other other things in that game I thought that were positives. Tommy Parsons, Mm -hmm. I really like what I'm seeing out of him. He's a guy out of Adrian College, undrafted, Adrian College is a Division 3 powerhouse in college baseball and Tommy Parsons is coming in he's a strike thrower he was uh, is listed by Baseball America as having the best control in the Cardinal system And so he has been coming in with runners on and just cleaning up innings. He did that again yesterday as he was uh, coming in for Matthew Libertor, who, by the way, did not look great yesterday. A lot of balls didn't look great. And the other guy that looked very efficient was Jake Woodford. Mm -hmm. Jake Woodford came in through two innings, scoreless baseball, like what I see out of Jake. So a couple of positives on the pitching front.
4: And uh, I'm the first to tell you that what happens in spring training doesn't count, but many times it does matter. And I really like, in general, what I'm seeing from Tyler O'Neill. Now, there is he going to swing and miss a lot? Yes. Is he going to strike out a lot? Yes. But when he gets a hold of one, it goes. Oh, yeah. I, it goes. Jumps off his yeah. bat. He doesn't need to have a big no. swing because he's got a nice compact swing, very short. Yeah, and and so he should theoretically make more contact than he does. Yes, but because when he makes contact, man, it's something. Yesterday, a couple of hits for Tyler O'Neill, including the three run homer. He's hitting 400 on the spring. And when we talk about the outfielders, Dan, we we always seem to leave Austin. I always leave Austin Dean out of the mix. I talk about the st- the ostensibly the the starters with. Carlson and Bader and O'Neill, And then I, I bring in Justin Williams into the mix and lane, Thomas, and I always leave Austin Dean out and I probably
5: shouldn't. Well, Austin Dean has got options. And the, the thing about Austin Dean, and I, I've talked to people prior to the trade uh, that brought him here. And I said, what, what does Austin Dean have? And they said, when he makes contact, like we talk about when we talk about Justin Williams, when he makes contact, It's loud. You know, he's a guy that is a loud guy in terms of the contact. It's going to be loud. It's going to be, you know, something that he's going to drive the baseball. So yesterday, for fans that didn't see it, bases loaded. He comes up, drives a double into the gap in right center, clears the bases. The problem is, sometimes with Dean, is the, the defense just isn't great. So, for instance, last week there was a ball and... He dropped it, led to a couple of runs. I don't know if you remember last year in regular season play, he had a ball that he dropped. Yep. There was a, a ball that he dropped in summer camp 2.0. Roger, Camping World. Thank you. That uh, led to a couple of runs in a exhibition game last summer at Bush Stadium. I'm intrigued by him, and the thing that they talk about too with him is that he gets on these two weeks run, two week runs that when he's on fire, you can't get him out. So you kind of ride him out when he's there, and you say. You better put him in the lineup because he's the hottest player in baseball. So, you know, he he gives you that intrigue that if someone goes down or someone's struggling, he's an option. Um, It's going to be tough for him to make this club because you do have Lane Thomas. You do have Tyler O'Neill, You do have the other guys that we're talking about. We don't know about the option yet for Justin Williams if he's going to get that fourth option to go to the minor leagues potentially. So it's going to be tough for him to make this club. But I, I do like the fact that there is some more depth there for the Cardinals. And
4: Patrick and I were talking about Justin Williams yesterday, Dan, and I do worry about guys with option, that don't have options. Nobody's picking him up. Probably not. Because you have to put him on your roster if you pick him up off waivers. Nobody's
5: picking up Justin Williams to put him on their roster. By the way, Lane Thomas, he's having a good camp. Yeah, he is. He had two sliding catches yesterday. Uh, offensively, he's been kind of quietly really solid. He's hitting, I think, above 400. He looks better than what we saw when he came back from battling COVID, obviously. He had kind of the fogginess of of dealing with COVID, and he just looks like the guy that we saw that was prior to the injury in 2019, which is a guy that can contribute. So that's something that we should keep in mind, too.
4: Cards and Marlins today. One other baseball note over the weekend. Highland, Illinois' Jake Odorizzi signing a two-year deal with the Houston Astros. They had some injuries in the rotation, needed some depth, and he'll be a good fit there.
5: Yeah, I I think so. And they're they're dealing with a ton right now. They've got, what, seven or eight guys. The Astros, Mm COVID-19 has hit them. Um, So contact tracing has gotten them. They have a pitcher that's dealing with a finger that may keep him out for the entire year. How about that? Yeah. I mean, you think about injuries in hockey, and you say, I love it when I was talking, when I was, I would be with the hockey guys on the road trips, Randy. <laughs> They'd say, now you guys, you know, you guys <laughs> in this baseball stuff, a, a finger injury, well, it's a little different sport, you know? So a hockey guy says, well, broken finger, you know, he's back out there in the next shift. We got guys that break their nose, their face, their orbital bones are out there in the next shift. Well, pitcher's a little bit different, and they have another guy, their top prospect, that may miss the entire of course, year. Whitley, yeah. yep, he may miss the entire year with Tommy John. So, Jake Odorizzi gets a thirty million dollar deal. So he's off the table if you're thinking about that for the Cardinals. And yesterday, down in Florida, Ryson Deshambo won the players, and all it
4: really took. I just man. wish he would hit the ball hard. Yeah, I, I just just drive the ball. It seems like he's got potential to be a guy that could hit a driver a long way. He just lays up too much. <laughs> So the number six is a dog leg left about 550 yards at uh, Bay Hill. And he hit over the water all weekend on Saturday. It was 377 yards. Yesterday, it was about 370. Getting to within about 50 yards of the pin. People are complaining that he just birdied the hole. They say, I'm not that impressed. I am
5: totally impressed. How about the one that he put on number six where not only did he drive it over the water, Randy, he drove it over the water And didn't just clear it, but then he put it on the rough of the other side of the fairway. That's ridiculous. It's unbelievable. And it was just, uh, even the other players were applauding him on the green. You know, they're on the green Mm -hmm. waiting and they're kind of looking back watching him and they see him put it over the water and in over the fairway and into the rough. It's ridiculous. Uh,
4: And golf has needed somebody since the demise of tiger and we can go all the way back to 2008 Tiger's has done some magnificent things since well uh, let's even go to 2011 when he won all the, the or i guess 2012 when he won all the champion or all the uh, tournaments, but they haven't had anybody that was must see TV like he's must channel. see. Yeah, he's, he's must great. see. When he's on the tee, I'm
5: watching. I yeah. stop and watch. I yeah. do. So do the other golfers. That's why I'm impressed. People online saying, oh, I'm not impressed. I'm oh, not you impressed. are? Yeah. You watch? Yeah. I do. I, it's it, kind of like brought me back to when I would watch John Daly. Yeah. I would watch John Daly. It seems like the ball is in the air for like a half hour when he hits it's it. It's freakish. <laughs> so you watch. It's great. Did you watch the NBA All Star game at all? No, I didn't. Did you watch Meghan Markle? I did watch Meghan Markle. You did not?
4: I was, yeah, I, I was sitting there. I was watching. Yeah. What is? What has happened to you?
5: Dan. Come on, man. I'm a, uh, a dedicated husband. Oh, Ooh. okay. Well, that's different. Yeah. All right. You were forced so. to watch it.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
5: Did you go IO this weekend? I'm, no, Instagram no social official. media. No, uh,
4: <laughs> social media has been ruled out at my
5: house. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to do it. I said, hey, put your hand down. No, she I'm not do doing it. that. She didn't have Joan didn't have to show her face or I know. the only body part she had to show was her hand. I know. You, she you still guys wouldn't
4: Still wouldn't do it. Still <laughs> wouldn't do it. So no no I O in the character household. <laughs> uh, I love it.
7: Well. I love it
4: it's, it's getting real now it's Dan. getting real with your <laughs> iO dog. <laughs> which is kind of weird that we're saying it's getting over, it's getting real because of the fantasy land of social media. <laughs> coming up it was an interesting weekend if nothing else for the blues and they got Vladimir Tarasenko back. That's coming up with the Dan and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right
3: back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Blues wrap up their road trip tonight in San Jose, 7 o'clock with the pregame, 8 o'clock the faceoff with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. And by the way, I don't know what the Blues did. We'll have to find out and see if Kerbs knows. But the Fairmont Hotel in San Jose closed over the weekend while the Vegas Golden Knights were staying there. They filed for bankruptcy. Dan, since the start of the pandemic, this Fairmont in San Jose, not the one in San Francisco, the one in San Jose, yeah. had had an average of 17% of capacity. Is that and right? And lost hundreds of millions of dollars. I think they were losing like $20 Gorgeous million a month. Yeah. So it just closed without warning on a night that the Vegas Golden Knights were there. So they had to scramble and find a different hotel. And apparently the entire NHL stays there. So I don't know what the Blues did in terms of finding...
5: Accommodations. No, in San Jose. I love that hotel. That's like one of my favorite hotels ever. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Apparently, they're going to reopen under new ownership
4: within uh, 60 to 90 days, but they've got to get their financial situation taken care of. The reason they couldn't have anybody is because they filed for bankruptcy on Saturday,
5: and then they kicked everybody out, including... The Vegas Golden Knights. Boy, you got to wonder about some of these businesses across the board in the United States, but certainly in California. Yep. Everything was shut down and it's been shut down. Um, man, oh, man, I, I can't believe that that is the case. And what do you, I mean, if you're a team, what do you do? You've got your, your players, your staff, yeah. coaching staff. So I don't know if they, I mean, I'm trying to think how many people you have traveling
4: with you. What do you got? 30 at least? Uh, I was thinking thirty-five because you've got a PR guy, you've got your trainers and and your equipment al- guys and your uh, your alternate guys. Yeah, your taxi squad. Yeah, yeah. So you're probably upwards of forty. You think it's that many? Yeah, because that's uh, well, twenty-three, twenty-nine players right off the bat. Right, and then for the Blues, video coach and then three other assistants. Right, plus a uh, couple of equipment guys, couple of trainers.
5: Yeah, so a PR guy, you're at 35. Yeah, so wow. So how do you do that? How do you relocate that many guys that fast? I wonder if they moved them into San Francisco. It's just a 45 minute drive away. Yeah, you're you're not that far away. It's probably what you had to do. So So you just had to do do this on the fly, right? And we'll see if Curbs knows
4: where the they had to give them a heads up, didn't they? No, there was no warning at all for any of the people that were staying. So were were they in the hotel? The the knights, the Golden Knights, were in the hotel already. And they said, uh, "Just hey, clear out, and yep. you're you're done." Yeah. So uh, you got to get out of here. We don't know where you're going, but you got to get out of here. Wow. So not great for them. No. Meanwhile, the Blues came away with an overtime victory on Friday. Then on Saturday, built a three nothing lead. Mm. That dissipated though. Kopitar scoring to make it three one. Kopitar scoring again to make it three two. And then late, LA tied it.
2: Let's get it back. That's Brunstrom. Trying to cycle it around. Kopitar with a shot from the blue line. Knocked wide of the net. Hit off the referee. That's a big bounce for the Kings. He goes right back to Kopitar. They center. They shoot. They score. they tie tied the game. That was a bad bounce for the St. Louis Blues. And Luff has tied it. And the Blues have gone from 3-0 to 3-3 here in the second period.
4: And uh, it stayed 3-3 until overtime when L.A. won it.
2: Shen drops the puck back. Vladimir Tarasenko. 35 game-winning goals in his career for the Blues, tied with Alexander Steen in that department. Shen has the puck, sweeps it over to Tarasenko. Vladimir trying to hold it in the zone. Skates down the right way. Dips the shoulder. Drives it in front. Fans on the shot. The goaltender was pulled away. He lost his stick. And the Kings get a break. They bring it out. The L.A. Kings in on Krug. In, Velarde, smack door. they score, and Kempe wins it for the Kings. Blues at a 3-0 lead. They cough up the game. They lose in overtime 4-3 to, to the L.A. Kings. The winning streak snapped at 3.
4: Coach Craig Barubi, how did that one get away from the Blues?
1: I thought we played well. I mean, we played pretty good hockey. We got that – they. Uh, The penalty, which, you know, I didn't like to call, you know, kind of a broken play. They score and then they get a late goal there, you know, which we played. I thought we played a pretty good third period. I mean, second period. I think they had uh, only four shots up till then on net. So we're doing a good job. But, you know, that, that happens in this league. And then I thought the third we came out, we played a pretty good period. I mean, it's just one of those, you know, one of those games. I mean, overtime's overtime. But, uh, yeah, it's, an, it, you know, it's unfortunate. We let it slip away for sure, but we got a point.
4: I appreciate, I really appreciate how he handles this because, I did not think that that – I thought once the Blues got a 3-0 lead, I thought the game was over. I didn't think there was any way the Blues could let it get away.
5: Well, here's what I take away, though, Randy. I think if you're a Blues fan, big picture, the thing I take away is that you had the return – of number 91 mm-hmm. and that was the good thing and he walked away healthy and that's what i wanted to see this weekend he had about 16 and a half minutes of total ice time which was good he had four shots on goal i thought he looked pretty good i don't know about you no, i did I, I, and
4: i thought he was going to
5: score on that i did three too. on three play there i thought oh my goodness if this isn't storybook to see this guy come back out get a game-winning goal and man this the town would be buzzing this morning with him having had that goal but to have him come back to be healthy, he'll bounce back, he'll play tonight. That's what I wanted to see. So my my evaluation of this weekend was you're up three nothing. Is it a tough pill to swallow to lose that game? Yes, absolutely. You should win those games. However, when you have one of your stars and a guy that you need to have be a factor come the stretch run of the season, in the playoffs, but to get him back, to get him healthy, that's what I want to see. So that was the main thing that I took away out of this weekend.
4: What did Coach Craig Bruby think of Tarasenko's performance?
1: I thought he looked really good uh, early on. You know, I thought that he kept the shift short, um, did some good stuff. You know, was, I thought he was going to score there in o- overtime, did a good job driving wide. Yeah, I thought he looked good. He skated well. He was strong. He was physical. Um, did a lot of good things. So good, real good sign. And –
4: the fact that he made that play in overtime, which looked a lot like the play that he got hurt on last year against the Kings. So I kind of held my breath. Yeah, I did too. And and I I think I will for a long time, but I probably will too. Yeah. But once he scores
5: a goal, uh, he's the kind of guy that can score five and five games really easily. Absolutely. Um, Again, I think my evaluation with him, Randy is going to, I'm going to give it about a month, you know, and, and at that point in time, then you kind of look and see of the line mates he's with, to see how he fits in, to see where he's at, to see how he responds, to see what it looks like back-to-back. And the other thing I'm taking away from the entire big-picture view of this season, every single game is tight. Yeah, every game's a one-goal game. it's another OT game. It's back-to-back OT. Every single night, you can look up around the league in the NHL. I mean, there's the, the blowouts here and there, but it seems like with the Blues, every single game is a one-goal game. And we should I guess, expected that when you looked at how the schedule came out.
4: And that's one thing where Tarasenko will make a difference. When every goal is a one-goal yes. game and you have a guy that scores in a lot of games, obviously, it's going to make
8: a big difference. How did he feel? Yeah, it felt nice. Uh, I know I talked to Panger a couple of minutes ago, but I think we don't have a win. And I know it's almost always... You know, bad when you come back from a long time and, you know, you lose. Uh, but uh, it's, I uh, have some time to rethink, you know, everything in this life. It's a privilege to be in the locker room, be able to play, you know, I miss that. And uh, it's nice to be out there with the guys again, you know, feel the atmosphere, feel the game. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty exciting day for me. Only, you know, bad thing we don't win.
7: Let it seemed like you got some pretty good contact. How did
8: that feel? Good. No, no concerns. I feel good. I feel confident and, uh, yeah, nothing. Like, you don't have to ask me these questions anymore. It's all good. <laughs> Did you see
2: enough of Drew Doughty tonight? It seemed like he was following you around the ice quite a bit.
8: Uh, I think we've played against each other uh, quite a while in the last eight years. So, uh, he's, uh, you know, from my point, he's one of the best D's in the league. He's really smart and, uh, you know, it's a good test to play against him.
4: And what a guy to come back against when essentially you've you've had 15 months off. There was a little time in the bubble, but he got hurt in November of 2020. So basically 15 months away from playing in a competitive game. I guess he played in a couple, but not enough to really get into a groove. So to come back against Dowdy and play the way he did, pretty good.
5: And I I would think that he'll score sooner rather than later. I like what he said, too, how... He said it's just a privilege to play the game. Mm-hmm. We forget about that, don't we? When it's taken away from yep. you and it's not on your own volition where you say, Hey, when you step away from the game and it's when you want to step away, that's one thing, but when the game the game is taken away from you because of injury, that's tough. You savor it now. You do. And uh I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna watch him specifically tonight to see how he responds. It'll be interesting back you know, game two then game three, game four, that's when you start to take a hard look and to see how the, the shoulder responds, mm-hmm. see how the body re, body responds too. See, and Dan, I'm one of those glass half full type guys. So I'm saying the blues
4: got a point out of Saturday night. I'm not saying they lost, I'm saying, well, you got a point out of it. Okay. I like that. Yeah. But you were up three nothing. Sunshine lollipops. Yeah. You were up three nothing. Three nothing not let that get
5: away. All right then. 3-0, I'm just saying.
4: Coming up, we heard the uh, performance of Tyler O'Neill yesterday. O'Neal and Reyes, Alex Reyes, are making a, a dent and a chance to really make the Cardinals a highly competitive team this year. We're going to talk about those two specifically next on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
4: Is in for Michelle. I'm Randy. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals with an 8 5 win over Houston yesterday down in Florida. And Tyler O'Neill went yard for the Redbirds.
5: Her for but a ground ball the other way it does the job. O'Neill, fly ball, deep right at the wall. Gone! Tyler O'Neill, opposite field homer, three run shots. And he breaks open the 2-2 game.
4: And the Cardinals went on to win it 8-5. Tyler O'Neal now on the spring, Dan, hitting 400 with a 1.155 OPS. He has that homer. He has four hits, but he also has four strikeouts in his 10 at-bats.
5: That's Tyler O'Neal. It is. It's Tyler O'Neill. He had a single. The Cardinals did not have a base hit until the sixth inning, and then they were able to break it open. They were being no hit until the sixth. He had a single to center. A lot of non-contact. They were striking out a bunch, which, you know, that may be the Cardinals at Mm -hmm. times this year, and that may be Tyler O'Neill at times this year, which is what you're going to have to do. You're going to live with the strikeouts, but... At times, he's going to hit you that three-run homer, and that three-run homer broke open a 2-2 game, and that's what you're going to get with Tyler O'Neill.
4: And Dan, in the way the game is approached by front offices and management now, they don't really worry about strikeouts. No. If if a guy strikes out, if O'Neill winds up striking out 35% of the time and he winds up hitting 25 to 30 home runs and slugging, that's
5: fine with them. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you give him... Let me ask you this: If you gave him, and I'd be curious what listeners think too, six five seven eight zero. If you gave him five hundred at bats, and you may have some bad two week runs, and I mean they could be ugly. Mm-hmm. If you gave him five hundred at bats. How many home runs do you think he hits? Thirty. I, I, Maybe I, more. I, I'm with you. I think it's twenty five thirty home runs. Now, how many strikeouts do you think he has? Five hundred at bats. He's going to strike out 150 times. Thirty five percent of the time. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're looking at a lot of strikeouts. Yeah, it's just that's the the give and take with him. And the the thing will be is what do we always say? Patience. Mm-hmm. You got to have patience with him. And if he's hitting seventh for you and doing that, that's different than hitting fourth or fifth that's and right. doing that for you. Well, that's the thing with with Arenado's presence in the lineup he lengthens the lineup so if he's doing that in the bottom of your lineup I think you take that if you were counting on him to be a middle of the order presence that'd be a little tougher to swallow Mm -hmm. um if he's bottom of the order and he's doing that kind of damage you say yeah I can I can live with that that's okay and if he's playing gold glove type defense you live with it if he was a bad defender it'd be tougher to, to take But this team defensively, I've already seen it already in in spring training. This team defensively, by the way, Randy, which I don't think is getting enough attention, is going to be really good. Really good. And a good experience
4: for O'Neal yesterday in having to deal with the wind down in Florida.
2: Yeah, it was coming in pretty hard from left all day. You know, just uh, any uh, fly balls are unpredictable whenever they get up in the air and, and that kind of wind gusts. So. Um, yeah, there's maybe a little jet stream over the other way and, um, you know, some balls fall because of that.
4: And he, he handled it well, and he also obviously had a couple of hits. What is the Tyler O'Neill game plan this year?
2: For sure, yeah. Um, I've noticed early in camp I've been, uh, you know, out front on some pitches that I'm not usually out front on, but that's just uh, timing and at bats and reps there. So, um, you know, I feel like I'm in a good spot. Uh, i rather be early than late, so uh, for me it's just catching it maybe a little deeper and uh you know shooting the ball hard the other way is my game plan right now.
5: Jimmy talked about that the other day. He he talked exactly about what he was saying cuz I said what do you see right now with Tyler O'Neal? And he said one of the things that Tyler O'Neal has to learn about. and I'm talking about Jimmy Edmonds. He said he he is so strong and is and we talked about this earlier. His bat is so quick and he's so short to the ball and compact. He's just got to wait. He's got to mm-hmm. sit back. And if he can drive the ball the other way, which we saw with that home run, he's going to be fine. Sometimes he does get a little out in front. And he is smart. He thinks about it and he works on it.
4: He's a guy that is certainly not satisfied no. by just making it to the majors.
5: He wants to be a good player. And I think it, the, 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 the thing I see in this camp is there's pretty good competition. And by them trading Dexter Fowler, they have yep. opened this thing up and said, all right, guys, here you go it's wide open and it's there for the taking who wants it which is a good thing
4: dan a couple of other guys that are having impressive springs among the youngsters alex reyes has thrown three innings he struck out three has good yeah he has yet to allow a run in his two games and three innings and he also has not walked anybody
5: yes and that's the key for me i I wanted to see consistency within the strike zone now i would think a lot of fans would say is it time to take off the training wheels and insert him into the starting lineup in terms of being a starting pitcher put him in the starting five i get it i'm kind of in that camp and i'm trying to pull myself back and say pump the brakes on it if i'm the cardinals and there's so much invested in this young man. And there's the upside with him is sky's the limit, more so than anybody else in that camp pitching-wise, that they're having success with this. They had success in this role with him last year. And if he's able to stay healthy, why not try to build up his innings this way, then graduate towards the rotation next year? And I understand that. Now, here's where rubber meets the road kind of thing. I'm not so sure that Michaelis breaks camp in this rotation. Now he was supposed to pitch yesterday. There's kind of I don't know if you want to call it a setback or what you want to say, but he's he's going to throw another bullpen on Wednesday. We'll see how he comes out of that. The way I look at it, Randy, and I don't know if you agree with this, but you're starting to run out of time. Mm-hmm. Um and I, it's crazy to say that. It's March 8th, but April 1st is around the corner and we haven't seen Miles Michaelis appear in a game yet. So Michaelis is supposed to be a part of your rotation you got a battle for the fifth spot. That would mean for me that you're moving up uh, Carlos Martinez to maybe the fourth position, and then you're probably inserting, at least in my mind, a battle with Oviedo, no particular order, Oviedo, Ponce de Leon, John Gantt for the fifth spot, and keeping Alex Reyes in your bullpen. And again, Alex Reyes might be a closer. He could be a setup guy. He could be the guy that when you have a one-run lead in the seventh inning that you want to get multiple multiple innings out of him in games because he's a shutdown guy. He's just such a valuable weapon, and I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to be very careful yeah. with him, and I, I get it, but I'd also understand if they went to the rotation with him. I just think that maybe they think health-wise this is the best way to handle him. I, I have an idea for him, but
4: first let's hear from Mike Schilt about Michaelis and whether or not he'll be ready for opening day. Well, he's not our opening day
6: starter, so you know we go to Cincinnati and we have a day off. So um, you know it'll it allows for him to have an opportunity to to look towards getting back in the rotation at the beginning of the season. Um, granted, your question, there's not as much margin for error in the current plan, um, but we, you know we don't we, we're hopeful there's not any you know need for any any hiccups. But and that's the reason we're taking the path we're taking based on a lot of different factors, including where the schedule lies to to start the season.
5: So here's where I think Mike is going with this. You have three off days in the first 15 days of the season. You extend that even further, Randy. You got four off days in the first 22 days of the regular season. You can manipulate that schedule if you wanted to kind of play with it, skip a guy, I wouldn't have to push somebody if he wanted to. And that's where I think Mike is going with this. Don't look at where we break camp on day one. Maybe look at week one, and that's where he fits in. And Michaelis did have surgery, so
4: it wouldn't be a bad thing to give him more time. Yeah, Make sure that he's 100% ready to go. Now, as far as Reyes is concerned, because you probably won't have Michaelis, and even if you do, he's not going to be built up to give you a lot of innings. I believe Flaherty will give you innings. I believe Wainwright will give you innings. I'm not sure about KK with what we've seen so far. So you're going to have three starters, KK, Martinez, Michaelis, Ponce de Leon, uh, uh, three from among that group that I'm not counting on getting more than five innings out of. So if every time I send Alex Reyes out there, I can start him in innings. I can warm him up and have him ready to, to... to start an inning and go two. right? And so I build him up not by starting him and expecting four or five. I build him up by maybe getting two or on a really good, efficient day, three innings out of him with a pitch count. And then I, I build him up during the course of the season
5: out of the bullpen rather than in the rotation. So my question to you, would you rather see him as a starter or as what you're talking about as a reliever? Do you like him in this role right now? I like
4: him, but I love him starting. But I also know that if I do start him, I'm still asking for the same thing from him, two or three innings. Yeah. So whatever it is, whether it's him starting and giving me two or three, and then Martinez coming in and giving me four, or Martinez starting and giving me four, hopefully— And then him coming in and giving me the 5th and 6th. And then if I have a lead after the 6th, I feel like I have the game won. With my 7th, 8th, and ninth inning bullpen, I feel like if I have a lead after the 7th, I'm in really good shape. So that's what he is for me, is my bridge from the 4th inning, from the end of the 4th to the start of the 7th. And
5: I think you got to remember on the back end of games too, what's the availability initially of Jordan Hicks? Now, you could could have some games that Hicks will... Probably be the closer initially. Mm-hmm. Not a lot, but maybe some. Uh, Gallego's certainly an option. Maybe Andrew Miller's an option. Maybe John Gantz an option if he's not starting. Yeah. But if if Alex Reyes comes in the eighth, what's to say he doesn't go back out for the ninth? So that that's another role yeah. that he could play um, for this team. So I I just think there's a lot of ways to use him in the bullpen right now and try to... Keep health in mind with him and still get those innings built up as you move along. Another guy, by the way, in that bridge from
4: the start of the seventh to the end of the game that we don't talk about much is Ryan Helsley, Helsley, who has great stuff and did it in the playoffs. He's done it at the highest level. So if he's giving you the seventh or the eighth, Mm -hmm. if you don't have Hicks on a particular day, I'm fine with Gallegos
5: coming in for sure or Gantt and giving me the ninth inning. I think this bullpen is, is the key to this season. It was the key last year, and I think it'll be as long as it plays to the level that we expect them to play like they did a year ago, that'll be the key to the season. Now, the middle of the lineup's got to be what it was, what we're expecting with yeah. Arenado and Goldschmidt, but the, really, over the course of the season, you're going to win games in the middle of that, that bullpen. There is not a single Cardinal reliever, and I'm guessing that they'll have
4: nine relievers. There's not a single Cardinal reliever on my roster that
5: I'm uncomfortable about bringing into a game. No, I, you know, people look at, uh, I've had a lot of people say, you know, Tyler Webb, look at Tyler Webb. He's really good. He's been really good. He had one bad outing last year that drove up his ERA. And then he got it down the rest of the season. He got beat up against the Chicago Cubs because it was out of necessity. They were out of arms and he had to take it. Mm -hmm. He had to wear it. And then his ERA dropped the rest of the year. He's been pretty good since he got here in St. Louis. He's just one of those unheralded guys. Doesn't do, do things. He's not flashy, but gets the job done. I mean, for the most part, they have a very good bullpen. That's Dan. I'm Randy.
4: Coming up next, get your text into the air comfort service. Text line 65780. Emily is here for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the
3: Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
4: That's Dan McLaughlin in for Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Dan, the NBA All-Star Game was
5: held last night in Atlanta. Yes. I watched the uh, three-point shooting contest. Mr. Curry put on a show. He is pretty good. Yes, he is. Now,
4: also what happened was a rapper got shot Women were leaving out of U-Hauls. A woman I didn't see that. A GoFundMe. And there was a huge brawl in
5: Buckhead. Take it or leave it. Atlanta was the place to be this weekend. Yes, it was. Yes, it yeah. was. I didn't see the rapper getting shot or the other aforementioned mm-hmm. events around the All-Star Game. I just yeah. saw the three-point shooting contest. Yeah, well, that was uh, entertainment. The NBA All-Star Game is action, 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 oh, nonstop. Action packed. On the court and off. Yes. Take it. A lot of packing heat, apparently. Yeah, they are. I I did not see the other stuff that happened with that. And you didn't watch it because you were watching the, uh, the Royals, not the Kansas City Royals, but you were watching the Royals with Oprah. Which, by the way, if you're doing a show
4: like this... In London today And right now it's almost 8 o'clock here So 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 2 in the afternoon in London That's, I guarantee you, oh, all they're talking
5: about All they're talking about So I, I, I did not watch it I wanted to be sure that if I were to do a show in London today That I was up to date Take it or leave it You would have uh, been happy to accept the, I think, $9 million That Oprah received to do that interview Oh yeah, I'll take that Yeah, I'll take that yeah, too She can get guests she, She's a pretty good guest booker You bet That's a, that's a good get yeah, no doubt about it. I think they're it. neighbors, though. Yeah, uh, Oprah Calabasas said the, or something yeah, like that.
4: They're in um, Santa Barbara. Yeah, okay. And Oprah said that uh, I guess Harry and Meghan live up the hill, and uh, Oprah lives down the hill.
5: Uh-huh. And they actually did the interview at a mutual friend's house that's in between their homes. Well, part of it, my understanding, looking at social media, is that they there was behind the They pulled back the curtain, if you will, Randy, and they they saw that they. Um, that the Royals had, uh, saved some stray chickens. So they yeah. took them in their, their, uh, backyard and showed the chickens. And, uh, there was a baby reveal. I think a gender reveal. Yes, there was. They're having a little girl. They already have a boy. Adorable. Archie.
4: That is adorable. It only gets an adorable, huh? Oh, that's only an adorable. Oh, wow. Okay. Your text six five seven eight zero Emily, what do you got for us?
3: From the six one eight, take it or leave it. Yachty passes pudge to become the all-time leader and put out to catcher.
5: I don't know where he's at in terms of uh, that all-time list. I don't either. Pudge played for a really long time. I
3: can pull it up. Yeah, he
5: would have to play beyond this year, I think. I would think so, yeah. Uh, I'm going to leave it. Does he play
4: beyond this year? I think he wants to. He does. Albert wants to play with... They want to go out at the same time.
5: Well, after watching him yesterday, when Siri, the pinch runner, yesterday... Mm -hmm. So for fans that didn't see it, there was a great moment in the game. And so this young man, Siri, he was a pinch runner for the Astros. There was a pickoff play very close at first base. He was the pinch runner for the Astros. And he did kind of like the Mutumbo finger wag at Yachty. Mm -hmm. As if like to say, nope, you didn't get me. And Yachty kind of motioned like, okay, well, go ahead. Go ahead and try to steal second. And there was a couple of pitches. Didn't run. Yachty on a changeup called a changeup. It was a strikeout and then throws out Siri by about three steps. (laughs) And I mean, it's a cannon down to second base. And Yachty trying to like peeks behind the pitcher because their view is blocked and kind of looks at him with his mask off as if to say, Really? (laughs) <laughs> you want to try that? And Siri got up from second base and didn't want to look at Yachty. It was awesome. It was great theater in the game. It was awesome.
3: Yachty still needs a
4: thousand.
5: Yeah, uh, no. And he had uh,
4: nine hundred and sixteen in two thousand nineteen. In nine hundred and sixteen in a hundred and eleven games. So, I. I guess in theory.
3: The exact number is 1,072 to tie Pudge so for 50 all time.
4: I wonder how much that means to him because if he could get to 800 this year mm-hmm. and then play next year, he could conceivably get there. Yeah. yeah easily. Yep. So. All
3: right. Hold on. Okay. Take it or leave it from the 314 Tarasenko scores tonight.
5: I'm going to take it. I will take that after what I saw and the near goal in uh, overtime over the weekend. He's Mm -hmm. itching to get in that uh, scoring column. Take it. I'm going to say yes. Take it. By
4: the way, uh, Emily, you might have just looked this up. I'm shocked by who's in third for all time put out by a catcher. And because I don't think you could do it unless you know in 50 guesses, I'll tell you. That third all-time and put out by a catcher is Jason Kendall. I
5: knew that. Okay. Yeah. I would have Jason never guessed. Jason Kendall has some amazing numbers, and people wouldn't realize it because he played on some awful Pirates teams. Yeah. Think of the fact, too, Randy, that he was their leadoff man for a ton of years in Pittsburgh as the catcher. Right. Yeah. And remember, he, he had the gruesome ankle injury. His ankle got caught on the turf at Old Three Rivers. Yeah, it was awful. It was nasty. It was it hurts gross. To
4: hear.
5: Yeah, I actually um, had
3: putouts all time. I don't know where Pudge sits.
4: Oh, Pudge is number one. Is he number yeah. one? Yeah, he's, he's number 14, one. 18, eight, 14, Jason Kendall had a hell of a career. He's a very he was good player. Really good. Yeah. So it's interesting when you look. Uh, there's, I mean, you have to go really far back to Bill Freehand in the sixties. Yep. I mean, you look at the top fifteen. They're all pretty contemporary. Carter is number seven, but it's Pudge Yachty Kendall. Osmus Przinsky McCann, then Carter, then Russell Martin, Fisk, Boone. Okay, so you've got a couple of guys from the '70s: uh, Piazza, Santiago, Veritek, Posada, and then Bill Freehand. So, to, for a guy that was in the '60s, you have to—you're down at number 16. So, catchers are getting a lot more putouts these days for some reason.
5: What if uh, players actually ran on Yachty? What if they just ran? Period then the game would be a lot different. yeah, And there would be a lot more. I would think the, so. Yeah. yeah.
3: From the 636, take it or leave it. S. Reyes should pitch out of the bullpen now so he's available in the playoffs later.
5: I think that's reasonable. I don't know that the Cardinals... Well, I, I think if he starts yeah. out of the bullpen now, he stays there all yeah. year. I, I, mean, think I don't see him going to the rotation unless I, there's injuries.
4: Yeah, I, I, get, I get the sense that the concern there is that the Cardinals would Strasburg him, and I don't think yeah. the Cardinals have it in him. I, I don't think the Cardinals are going to reach a, a number with Reyes no. where
5: they're going to say, "Okay, we're going to shut you down." No, that that's not going to happen. I think they would be. I, I would imagine maybe there's a innings idea in mind, but that doesn't mean they're going to shut him down. Right? No, no chance. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780.
4: Coming up, we've got some Cardinals season scenarios. What's more likely to happen? That's next on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> <laughs>
4: It's 8.05 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. MLB Network tonight has the Cardinals version of 30 clubs in 30 days. And they're going to offer four scenarios for the Cardinals 2021 season, which is most likely to happen among these four items. Arenado wins his first MVP Bueno reaches 2,000 strikeouts. He's 170 away. Dylan Carlson hits 30 home runs. Or Jack Flannerty wins the National League Cy Young. Uh, Dan, when you look at Arenado's history, he has finished 8th, 5th, 4th, 3rd, and 6th in the five previous NL MVP votes.
5: Okay, here's what I got. I think a key for two of these is where guys hit in the lineup and who produces in said lineup for instance talking about this yesterday with Brad Thompson um, I actually think the better question is well out of these scenarios I would say so you, you presented me now four of these all right yes. I'll go with Nolan Arenado is the best chance to win the MVP but someone has got to protect him in this lineup so whether that's Paul DeYoung whether that's Dylan Carlson if he's hitting behind these guys I don't care who it is But someone has got to protect him so that Nolan Arenado gets pitches to hit. Because if not, no one's going to pitch to him. Now, flipping the script a little bit, if you put Dylan Carlson in front of Arenado and Goldschmidt, then maybe he's got a chance to hit 30 home runs. I don't think he gets there, but that would be the way I look at it. So if you presented these scenarios to me, I would go with Arenado as having the best chance to win the MVP. In terms of Wayno getting to 2,000 strikeouts, he's 170 shy. He had 153 in a full season in 2019. That was 171 innings. Coming off a truncated season, and with teams being very careful, I would assume, with their starters in how many innings you're going to get, I think it could be very tough to get to 170. Last time he got to 170 was 2014 and the one thing though the the caveat with Waino is that if there's one guy you say we're not worried about innings it's Waino you just say if he blows out he blows out because so what he's already said i'm i'm just throw me i don't care i'm going out there you can throw me as much as you want i've made all my money if you need me to go out and throw nine innings like he did last year in that complete game so be it mm-hmm. that would be the one way it happens That would be the way I would look at it. And no, I don't think Flaherty has a chance at the Cy Young. He would have to put together the second half that he had from two years ago, and I'm not sure he could be that good again.
4: Flaherty finished fourth two years ago with 69 points in the Cy Young voting. Flaherty might, at least as the preseason spring training unfolds, he might be fifth in the NL West behind Darvish, (laughs) Snell, Kershaw, Bauer, and maybe even Bueller and Price there too. Yeah, I mean, that, there's just not only do they have the pitchers, but they also have the pedigree and the history that people know about.
5: I watched Bauer the other day; he was awesome <laughs> with an eye closed. He he said, for fans that don't know, he said, "Hey, by the way, I'm going to go out and uh, throw this inning with one eye closed." Did you see that? Yeah, it was unbelievable. So he's he was squinting, yeah, with one eye closed. Yeah. He said, I, I, sometimes it helps me focus. So he went out, and there was a really good competitive at bat that he gave up a base hit on. Mm-hmm. And then he, I think he got a double play and a strikeout or something. He was awesome. He is so good, it's scary. And it was against their
4: arch-rival Padres Padres, just
5: to toss it in their
4: lap a little bit. It was unbelievable. Yeah, he was great. So, Dan, I'm going to, like I said, I I think it'll be tough for Flaherty, even if he has a magnificent year. We didn't even mention Jacob deGrom, who is the favorite going into every year. I'm going to pick Dylan Carlson to hit 30 home runs because that's one thing that the Cardinals have control over. Well, where are you going to hit him in the lineup, though? Second. Okay. And he's going to see pitches... I think I told you this the other day. I've asked Paul Goldschmidt multiple times about seeing different pitches because of Arenado, And he said, no, you always get pitched the same. He's that guy that nobody wants to pitch to. And that's why he's never seen different pitches because he's always the best hitter on his team. And they don't pitch him any differently because
5: he's the guy they're most afraid of wherever he's been. Well, that's what I was going to say. I, I think instead of Nolan Ar- uh, Arenado winning his first MVP award, I think think it could be Goldie. With Arenado hitting behind him, you're going to see Paul Goldschmidt hit for more power, I think, this year as opposed to the last two years. He's going to get pitches to hit. He just does not, Randy, expand his zone. He takes his walks. I mean, you look at last year. There was no reason for the opposition to pitch to him. There really wasn't. There wasn't protection behind him to the point that you had to take a rookie that got hot in his second stint in the big leagues, and put him in the fourth position exactly. in the lineup exactly and now you got Nolan Arnato so. hitting behind him and
4: I think that Nolan for the MVP and Goldie for that matter they're at the mercy of the writers I think those guys could be five percent better across the board than Mookie bets and Mookie would still get the votes because he's Mookie on the Dodgers and you're playing in LA right so and you're going to be great yeah because of the lack of control over the situation I, I'm not going to pick Arenado. Like we mentioned, it's seven years now since Adam Wainwright had 170 strikeouts in a season. And Carlson is on the upswing. A couple of years ago in his last full ma- minor league season, hit 26 home runs and getting better and better. So
5: I'm going to go with uh, Dylan Carlson hitting that, those 30. Here's a question for you. How many guys get to 200 strikeouts this year in baseball? They're not going to let him. It's, it's going to be very close. That someone gets to 190 or 200, just in general, like a Degrom might get there, and Walker Bauer. Bueller, Bauer might get there. It's going to be tough, but boy, that'd be that'd be pretty cool though to see Wayno get to 2,000 strikeouts. 2,000 man, that Unreal. is a ton. So he's 170 away. It's just a matter of how many innings he's going to get. And I, it's just going to be very tough, again, for him to get there. So in 2019, he had 153, but that was in 171 innings. Mm-hmm. Not sure he's going to get to 171. No, it's it's going to be tough. Maybe that brings him back for another year. I They're going to have to tear the uniform off him. That's when everybody says, oh, it's the yeah. final go-around for these two. I'm like, really? It was I don't think so. His... Uh... He was supposed to have a final go-around two years ago. Uh, five years ago. <laughs>
7: yeah, right. right. You know, it,
4: it was legit five years ago. Yeah. But he, his camp was actually planning on two years
5: ago being the the grand farewell. But then he pitched so well, he had to go. He's reinvented himself, though. Watch how he's pitching. I, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago about this. He said, Randy, um, and he was talking to me, he said, you know, Dan – we look at so much video and the scouting reports of what others do so well. And he said, and that's great. He said, and don't get me wrong, I'm looking at the scouting reports and I'm watching what player X does great. And I'm trying to avoid his strengths. But he said, you know what? I got some strengths too. I do some things pretty darn well. And he said, I'm going back to what I do well. And if you're watching him pitch, it's a lot of curveballs. You know, mm-hmm. his curveball usage. Last year was as high as it was 10 years ago. Think about that. Wow. So it's been 10 years and he's still using his curveball as much. And his curveball is still as good as it was at time. Now, it's not quite as, I I guess if you want to call it as sharp, but it's still pretty darn good. And he's using it a ton and he gets the soft contact. He gets a lot of strikeouts with it. And that's why he's still as effective now as he was at times ten years ago. Yeah, it's incredible, and we need to savor him if he pitches game two of the season. As we mentioned,
4: he'll get the home opener for the Cardinals, and Wayno and Yadi's careers—they're on the back nine. They—they they might be oh, playing yeah. number eighteen. So you got to savor what you get out of what you, what you see from them, not what you get out of them. Just the fact that to watch them perform one
5: more time. It would make sense to me that in the first road trip of that season. Of coming up against the Reds, I, I think I would throw KK in game three with the lefties that they have, yeah, like a Mustafa, Avado, some others, that you use that lefty and establish him in game number three. And if you have Wayno go in game two, that means he gets the home opener, which is great. But then you get him in two starts during that home stand and he is sensational at home. He loves pitching at home. Maximize the times you can get him at home. Yeah, Not only is it great for the fans, but you're, you're trying to win games. And he's been very good at Busch Stadium. So maximize the times you can get old Uncle Charlie at home. Yeah. By the way, just one
4: more thing about the strikeouts that you mentioned. In each of the last three full seasons, I didn't realize this. We've had a 300 strikeout guy, Cole with 326 in 2019, Scherzer with 300 in 2018, and then Sale with uh, 308 in 2017. Scherzer 284, Kershaw 301, Price 271. So we'll have a guy that, or, or a couple of guys that get to 200. There, there'll be multiple 300 strike or 200 strikeout guys.
5: Max Scherzer finished with the uh, Nationals this season.
4: Yes, I don't think that I, I. I was talking to somebody about that this weekend, and his velo is way down. He's he has an, not, he still was above average last year, right? He's going to be fine, but their owner wants him to finish there, and I would think that they'll do everything they can to have to make sure that Scherzer finishes as a member of the Nationals, because hmm. he's going to be the first Nationals Hall of Famer. Oh yeah. Uh, you, for sure. He's headed to the yeah. Hall of Fame. So, and uh, is it uh, he's a free agent to be? Yeah. I, I think it'd be fun to at least explore the possibility of bringing him back. But
5: I'd be shocked if the Nationals don't make sure that he ends his career there. So if he's, if, if they're out of the race, he's a free agent to be, and you're a team that needs pitching and you need, um, you need that old vet that's got that great postseason pedigree. You'd love to have him. Oh boy. Would you ever? Yeah. Wouldn't that be something to see a hometown kid come home, be able to pitch for his St. Louis Cardinals? I'm just throwing it out there, Randy. Good thing to throw out. I'm just throwing it out there. That's your fresh take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk. Not that about- I know anything. I'm just throwing it out there. Oh, I like that. I don't know anything. I'm just throwing it out I truly am just <laughs> throwing it out there.
4: The voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Next on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack is in for Michelle. I'm Randy. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, standing by. We do want you to know that if you download the 101 ESPN app and register for our 101 ESPN app madness, you can win $500 in cash. You could win a Nolan Arenado jersey. You could win a Traeger grill, which is awesome. I used mine last night to uh, do a little... Uh, seafood and steak. Uh, You can also win a tailor-made golf bag, a rolling cooler, a prize pack from 101 ESPN, a 101 ESPN jacket. We've got tons of cool stuff. Just download that 101 ESPN app, and when you do, use the mic drop feature and tell us what you're thinking. All right, to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and the Voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN, Chris Kerber joins us. Good morning, Kerbs. How you doing?
0: Randy, I'm doing awesome. How are you?
4: Everything's good, and that was a disappointing uh, loss the other night. And we're, we're spoiled because the Blues are so good when they have a lead. And I said to my family, once it was three nothing, I said, "This game's over. There's no way they allow three or more goals."
0: Well, uh, I went the other way. I'm sitting there with a three nothing lead, going, "This isn't good." And <laughs> and the only reason, but but the only, you're you're absolutely right. But the only reason that I say that. Is more the history of the last few years, and it's not it 's a bigger thing when you look back literally over probably a a four year stretch that even dates back to maybe the last year of Ken Hitchcock where um, the 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 general makeup of this team when they get out to an early lead is that they give it up i mean it's happened in seasons as many as fifteen to nineteen times. I think over the last four years you 're probably averaging about ten or eleven times now i don 't know where that sits in terms of other teams around the league. And and the Blues have won some of those games. It's gone to overtime, they've won them, a shootout, they've won them. So it's not like all those have been losses, but it is something just about this team where um you know when when LA made it 3 to 1, you needed that extra gear to make it 4 to 1 again and they just couldn't find it. Having said that, um as you, as you know I I take a very realistic approach to these things, right? I mean, that was that that was the fifth game of a long road trip. Where you're stuck out in the the rigid COVID scenario of California, where guys are not even allowed to eat in the same room together, I mean it's and and so I, I and you're playing the second game of back to backs. I'm not at all worried from that standpoint. I think it's great that they still picked up a point in their four zero and one in this, uh, in, in this uh, road trip.
4: And Kerbs, when this stretch against the California teams started, you come out of that. Uh, series against Arizona and I was thinking okay in these 10 games against the California teams they need to come up with 14 to 16 points if they win tonight it'll be 13 points and with all the injuries I'm kind of happy with the 13 points in this stretch if they can win tonight
0: well absolutely and even if they don't win tonight Randy you're still talking you know four four one and one on a six game road trip out there that that would be pretty outstanding you come home, you've got a few days off, which, which I'm sure they're going to desperately need at home to be able to be back in their own houses. And then you play Las Vegas for two, and then you go right back out to Southern California. So the stretch continues. You know, you, know, you, you look at how this team rebounded. That's extremely well. You stay where you are second in the division, uh, which is great. Now, the thing is that the teams you're right in the battle with, Minnesota, Colorado, Las Vegas, they've got some games in hand on you. But you've got enough of a lead, right? If the game's in hand for Minnesota, if they won them and you were dead, even would only give you them a one-point lead over you right now. Uh, the flip side is, the teams below you in the bottom half of the standings, you've created some distance a little bit with them, and even though they might have one game in hand, you know, Anaheim has the same number of games played, so you're getting some of the separation where you really want it to be, and and that's the way you have to look at it. I, I We've said all along from the beginning of the season, you've you got to look at this season in one way, and that is just get in. It, I don't because it does to me. Yeah, there's a there is always an advantage to have home ice. You want it if you can get it. But the reality of it is, is it's not like getting in is going to make the playoff process any easier in this West Division. What did you think of Tarasenko? Loved what he did, Dan. Uh, I, I, you know what, I, I my expectations for Game One were just to get through it healthy, to be honest with you. And I, I think you were encouraged by two shifts. One, he took a real strong hit from. Uh, from Drew dowdy and then later in that shift, he returned the favor. So that that willingness and knowingness that he felt comfortable to engage and hit uh, tells you something about the shoulder. He had the game on his stick there in overtime. He dipped that shoulder with that power move, you know, and it just fell off his stick, which is uh, you know, which would have been a storybook way to end it. But uh, his ice time went up. He was four and a half minutes in the first, four and a half in the second, six and a half in the third. Uh, and, and then move forward. So uh, I thought for a first game back, having not played in 204 days, you're you're pretty happy with how he looked. I think he had, what, something like four shots on goal, too. Right.
4: Kerbs, do you know where the Blues are staying? We saw the story over the weekend about the Fairmont Hotel in San Jose, and I know the Blues were at least scheduled to be there. What have they done travel-wise?
0: Yeah, you know what, Randy? I didn't reach out to Richie and ask that. I, I don't know yet. There, there's a hotel just up the street. Couple doors up, that they may have found it, and, and one of the challenges that they had to do. And Las Vegas was in that hotel when they <laughs> filed for bankruptcy and had to move out. Uh, so uh, it's a and and, I, and it's a really nice hotel actually, and you can walk to the rink from it. Uh, it's it's in a good spot. So I think, uh, and, and there were reports that it'll reopen in a few months uh, once they get some things sorted out. But I, I haven't found out exactly where they stood or or what kind of scrambling Rich Jankowski had to do for them.
5: Last time we saw the Blues and Sharks, uh, Bennington went nuts. Do you think there's any carryover to that uh, tonight?
0: I, I think Bennington comes out with fire in his belly, but I honestly didn't think he comes out with fire in his belly every single day. Like, yeah. I don't – kind of like, I mean, you guys, I'm sure, if you haven't talked about it, you saw that video that that guy put out with Yada yesterday and throwing down to first base and then challenging the guy. I mean, you just love that competitive fire, right? It doesn't matter whether it's a – a spring training game or, or a game seven of the world series, he's got that fire. I think Bennington has some of that same attitude in him and uh, he'll go in and whether he has the manufacture, you know, with the pretending he's got a rivalry with Evander Kane or he wants to stick it to Duke. It doesn't matter. He's going to find a way to fire himself up. And so I think it'll carry over in that sense, but it can't carry over to the sense that it, it it impacts uh, the play in any way because, as, like we've just talked about, those two points are just so valuable.
4: Curbs, we, we don't know aside from Vladdy being back about the rest of the injured players. But uh, I've mentioned this before. I kind of compare what the card, what the Blues are dealing with now to the 2006 Cardinals. If they can get their guys back, I think they're going to just run down that roster when the playoffs start. The first day of the playoffs and say. Okay, we've got our team back. And like you said, you finish in the playoffs, get in the first four and get Bozak back, get Robert Thomas back, get uh, your injured defenseman Colton Pareko back. If you could do that, and obviously we don't know how severe the injuries are or when they are going to be back. Jaden Schwartz, if you could start the playoffs with a full, healthy roster, reasonably healthy, healthy enough to play, I think the Blues would be that team that nobody wants to see.
0: Well, and, and to that point, I, I think you have to look at getting those guys back, Randy, as, uh, as, as essentially the trade deadline for the St. Louis Blues right now. I mean, that, the, the trade deadline is when it, when it comes up in April is going to be difficult as it is just because players might have to quarantine or whatever. But the other guy, too, is Oscar Sundquist. Yeah. You know, from the beginning of last season, the, the St. Louis Blues are 51-20-10 when Oscar Sundquist is in that lineup. I mean, he is, he's an absolute engine for them. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's a legitimately uh, fair comparison and a great comparison. You know, it, it, think of the injured players that you just mentioned, right? And you still in that last game threw out a top six grouping of Kyrou, O'Reilly, and Tarasenko. Kyrou and O'Reilly both are twenty points or more, and then Hoffman, Shannon, eighteen points for Hoffman, twenty for Shen, twenty-five for Perron. Going into that game, that that's still your top six with all those injuries, and I mean. That's that's pretty doggone good when you look at that depth.
4: Yeah, there's no doubt. And tonight will be interesting, and hopefully, like we said, the Blues can come away with a win on the last day of this trip, and then come home and take on Vegas and uh, Alex Petrangelo making his return later in the week.
0: Yeah, that was that was going to be a big one, and you know, much like we saw last week when uh, Zedano Chara returned to Boston, and there were no fans in the stands. I, I still think, like to me, Zdeno Chara is just one of those just great captains, guys, leaders. He's been amazingly respectful, whether you talk to him when he was playing in the American Hockey League for the Lowell Lock Monsters or the Kentucky Thoroughblades, right, Uh, all the way up to to his time in Washington now. And and it's such a shame that he had to play his last team for Boston and his first team back with no fans in the stands. I I feel the same way uh, about Alex Petrangelo. He meant a lot to this organization. Uh, He had the absolute right to do what he did. Uh, everybody has, you know, that's the first time that you get a chance to make your own decision about where you're going to play in your career. I, I totally respect that, and uh, I just wish that there were more fans in the stands. But I know we will have some, which is good, and I'm sure they're going to give him a great uh, round of applause, and then maybe we get a chance to do it again next year when uh, when we can pack more people in.
5: What are they planning for him in his return, Kerbs?
0: Dan, I would just think that it's a, uh, you know, you, you do the you do the video. You still put it up there. I mean, Boston did it for Chara with nobody in the stands. So uh, that that's about what it's going to be. And then, you know, depending on how things go down the road here, there might be another time when he retires where there's even something more that can be done. But I I don't know that you can do much more than that other than uh, thank him for his time and, and the greatness that he brought to this organization. And then and then you go out and you try and beat them.
4: <laughs> exactly. And by the way, Petro does have a goal and five assists in his last seven games. So six points in his last seven games. He seems to be finding his way in Vegas. Kerbs, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time, and we'll talk to you soon. All
0: right, guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. All right. See you later. That is the
4: Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. And we should also note that Vegas has now won uh, of those seven games, they've won their last six.
5: So Petro's ascent is uh, parallel with the team's ascent. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot. I mean, that's the part of of sports in this whole deal that, that just, it stinks. You know, I mean, uh, Arenado on opening day, you would love to see a packed house and see yeah. the ovation. He would get the return of Petro to Enterprise Center. You want to see the right ovation that he would get the reception that he would get um closure in, in a way that he would get but hey it is what it is playoffs. It is what it is playoffs he comes to town does he get booed that's a good question yeah i think so i do too he touches the puck he gets booed yeah wait hey there's nothing wrong with that it's
4: fandom it, it's fandom baby Hey, we've got the fight, so Dan is going to root for somebody
5: else coming up next. Why do you say I'm going to root for somebody else? You are. No, that doesn't necessarily. It depends on how average Joe listener, which I don't like that term, Randy. I'm on record as saying because you are not average Joe listener. You're special to Mm -hmm. all of us. All of you folks are special. Uh, Average Joe listener. And we love you. And we love you because you're a listener and you help us. You are paying our salaries by listening. You are not average Joe listener. Um, It's just how you, you butter me up. That's really what it's all about. The fight is next on
4: 101 ESPN.
5: Danny Mac with you. This is The Fight. We have a um, text coming in from the 314. I agree with this. It should be special, Joe Listener. That's right. You are special to us, and we have Shane on the line. Shane, you are not average Joe Listener. You are special to us. Shane, good morning. You're ready to take on Randy, who is the champion right now. Shane, good morning. How are you? Not too bad. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing well. What do you do for a living? I actually
0: drive a truck for Budweiser.
5: All right, well, thanks for playing. Thanks for listening. Are you ready to go? Yes, sir. Okay, here we go. April 11th, 1962, Cardinals faced which expansion team handing them their first ever loss? Was it the Kansas City Royals, the New York Mets, or the Milwaukee Brewers?
0: First ever expansion team. We'll
1: go with the Brewers
5: all right question number two who took uh who took home the con Smythe trophy for the blues in 2019 braden shen alex petrangelo ryan o'reilly yeah, petrangelo question number three how many seasons did third baseman scott Rowland play for the cardinals was it four six or eight
0: More than four. I know that. Um, I'm going to go with six.
5: All right. And what 2001 first team high school All American at Chaminade starred at the University of Florida before being drafted by the New York Knicks in 2005? Was it Jason Tatum, David Lee, or Bradley Beal?
0: I think it was David Lee.
5: All right. Let's bring in Randy Carriker. Shane, are you on the road all the, uh, all the time driving that truck and listening to 101 ESPN?
4: Yep, Monday through Friday, yep.
5: Okay. Well, we appreciate that. Randall, say good morning to Shane. Shane, how you doing?
3: Not too bad. How are
4: you doing, Randy? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Did you butter up, Dan?
5: No, he did not. Oh. No, he did not. But he's a very nice man. Okay. Very nice man, and I'm pulling for him. (laughs) Okay. I'm pulling for him. That's basically what I wanted to find out. That's what you found out. Okay. April 11th, 1962, Randy, the Cardinals faced which expansion team handing them their first ever loss? I'm going to go
4: with the uh, New York Metropolitans, managed by Casey Stengel. Who took home the Con Smythe Trophy for the Blues in 2019? Connie Smythe, eh? Uh, Ryan O'Reilly. Remember huh. when uh, Larry Plo would call it uh, call it the, uh, the Conn? He, he won the Connie Smythe. Telling the meteor about that. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, the old Sabres captain, Mike Pecker.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Was the best. Ryan O'Reilly. Question three. How many seasons did third baseman Scott Rowland play for the Cardinals?
4: Uh, are we including when he came here in 2002? I'll, I'm going to go 02, 03, 04, 05, 06, and 07. I'm going to go six. I'll say five and a half, but he was uh, acquired at the deadline in 02 and then played full seasons here 03, 04, 05, 06, 07. And then after 07, traded for Troy Gloss. So you're going
5: to round up to six? Yes. What uh, 2001 first-team high school All-American at Chaminade started at the University of Florida before being drafted by the Knickerbockers in 2005? David Lee. Emily, we do have a winner.
1: Go so crazy, boy.
3: And auto centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs.
5: All right, Randy got four out of four. <laughs> April 11th, 1962. Cardinals faced which expansion team, handing them their first ever loss. It was indeed the New York Mets. That Mets team went 40 and 120, managed by Casey Stingle. You may remember. Marv Throneberry. Uh, there was. A, do you know the book? Remember the yeah. book that Can was. Does anybody written? here play this game? Yeah, yeah. and there's a uh, a movie that's coming out called Amazing. It's a documentary oh, on good. the nineteen. 19- uh, 62 Mets. Who took home the Conn Smythe Trophy for the Blues in 2019? Indeed, Ryan O'Reilly. How many seasons did Scott uh, Rowland play for the Cardinals? It was six, and it was David Lee. He had a 13-year NBA career. Good. Two-time NBA uh, champion, but he did play at the University of Florida and was indeed drafted by the Knickerbockers. And now married
4: to Caroline Wozniaki
5: Yep. Adorable. Absolutely adorable. Okay, absolutely good. Shane, thanks for playing. We appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you, guys. Hopefully make it down to a Cardinal game this year. We hope to we have hope
5: you so. down there. It would be great to see you down there. A lot of fans. We want to get them down there. Thanks, Shane.
0: All right, guys. Appreciate it. You bet. Right.
5: Uh, great job, Randy. That was very impressive. Thank very you. Very impressive. You. You, were, uh, you were sharp today. I was Trying to be. Well, you gave the Sosa. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, you gave yeah. the kiss to the sky. <laughs> uh, you came in guns a-blazing. You were fired up today. I, it's a Monday. I'm fired up. I know. You got your rest over the weekend. There was no uh, hesitation on these. And, I mean, by going five and a half and rounding up to six on Scott Rowland, impressive. Thank you. Very uh, impressive. Bud Smith,
4: Placido Polanco. And? Oh, Randy.
5: This is not good. St. Louis native. Who was it? Cliff Palit. Cliffy was in that trade? I believe Cliff was in that oh, deal. Wow, okay.
4: Wasn't huh. he? I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then we got a uh, pitcher back too. Mm hmm. Doug Nickel. Yeah. Doug Nickel. That's what correct. Wasn't Cliff in that deal? Emily?
3: I just know Doug Nickel because that was a trivia question a yeah. couple yeah, weeks it ago. Was.
4: Yeah. Uh, here, we can find it for you here. Uh, let's uh, talk about it. Placido her was herself. a good player. And Albert's best friend. Albert was not thrilled that day when uh, he loved getting rolling, but Placido was his best friend, right?
5: Well, uh, let me tell you something. Albert got over it
4: Mike, in a hurry.
1: Mike Timlin.
5: Yeah, that's right, Mike Timlin. Yeah, Mike Timlin, Who'd that's right. He started a game. Who was Cliffy traded for? Uh, was, I don't remember. I should um, remember that. Was I he a high that. school teammate of yours? Yes. I played Little League high school and college with Cliff. Uh, so I should probably know that. You don't need, just because you grew up with him doesn't
4: mean you should know everything. Yeah. Uh, he actually, remember his first start? Oh, yeah. Uh, he, with uh, the day game with all the Viani people?
5: Yeah. Because Lamping, Mark Lamping, a Vianney guy also. Cliff made the first ever start at Roger Dean Stadium, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay, He opened up
4: that ballpark. November nineteenth, nineteen 1998, Cliff traded by the Cardinals with Jeff Brantley and Ron Gant to Philly for Botalico and Garrett That's Stevens. Yeah, I knew it was Philly. There you, you go. go. Coming up next, it was a bad weekend for a couple of the area college basketball teams and a great weekend for Illinois. That's next on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the Carragher and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
4: It was an interesting week for college basketball in the area. And heck, three weeks ago, Pretty much everybody thought, oh man, this is going to be such an awesome tournament because Illinois, Mizzou, and SLU are all going to make it. And Dan, this weekend, St. Louis University in the AT- mm. A10 tournament uh, against St. Bonaventure really laid an egg and probably ended their chances, I would think, to be in the NCAA tournament. They lost 71 53. The game was never really competitive. It really was. From the, the, the end of the first half on. Yeah. They just weren't there right now. As we speak, Joe Lenardi has the Billikens as one of his first four out, but they don't have any other game schedule. There's nothing they can do to advance their cause.
5: When you think about COVID hitting these programs and, you know, I've looked at other teams across the country and it seems like almost every team got hit with COVID Mm -hmm. in some form or fashion. For instance, I I do some Valley games, and Drake got hit with a 23-day layoff, and they were undefeated at the time, had to go to Missouri State, and they actually swept the doubleheader. They were down by 17 at one point in the first game back and won the game and then won the next night. If they lose that game, it would have been devastating for them. They won that game. The, The reason I bring that up is that every team at some point, it seems like, dealt with COVID. I'm not sure that any team got hit harder or it hurt their season more than slew because when they got hit, they were top 25 and they were rolling. I mean, they were a very, very good team and they were playing well. Things were just in sync. And when they came back, you could see they were not the same team, Randy. They just were not the same team. Uh, Jordan Goodwin had a fantastic year. Javante Perkins was solid it's great that he's coming back next year and they should be by all accounts be really good next year but as it pertains to what's going on for the 2020-21 season I'm not sure they make the NCAA tournament and when you look at um, Jerry Palm you look at Linardi you look at the other guys that, that do this for a living they've all got them I mean right on the edge of making the NCAA tournament and it would be very, very I mean, there's gonna have to be monumental upsets in these postseason tournaments for them not to make it in. And and that's a shame because this should be a tournament team. Right. It, it it they had their destiny in their own hands and they didn't do it. And by them losing in the manner that they did over the weekend, wasn't even a close game. I mean they were down by twenty at one point yeah. and it wasn't competitive. It's going to be very tough for them to make that case to get in the NCAA tournament.
4: Meanwhile, I'm a little bit surprised that the experts, and nobody does it better than Joe Lenardi, and John Gassaway has a piece up at ESPN.com as well, friend of the show John Gassaway. But even with the struggles that Mizzou has endured of late, they're still considered a lock for the tournament. And that was, again, they have Georgia coming up in the SEC tournament later this week in Nashville. But that was a tough loss to LSU at home that I kind of thought would knock him out. But they're still, as we speak here on March 8th,
5: considered a lock to make the tournament. And as it pertains to SLU, that might be a good loss for SLU, for Mizzou, because mm-hmm. SLU beat LSU. Right. And so you look at these quad one, quad two wins in college basketball, which is your upper echelon teams that you, you take on. And if you can get those win- that's why Mizzou, even though you look at their record and you go, well, you know, why are they a, a seven or an eight or a better? They're 15 and eight and they've lost five of their last seven. And, and you say, well, why are they a lock? And why are they going to be ahead a, a of Teams like SLU or, or a lock for the, the tournament and even a, a better than a 7 or an 8. Well, their quad one wins are excellent. Beat number 21 Oregon, beat Illinois. Yep. Don't forget the bragging rights
4: game here. And then uh, had early success, at least,
5: in the SEC, uh, including a win over number 10 Alabama. And that's the key. So when you have those kind of wins, that's what's going to get you in. The committee this year, I talked to Doug Elgin two weeks ago as it pertains to the valley. I think the valley's going to get two teams in. Yeah, they should. Um and they got one in Loyola over the weekend. Was yep. a lock. Uh,
4: and I think they would have had a better chance actually if Drake would have won the game. Oh, for sure. But they get they, they, then they might then, get three. Yeah, the, they could have. You, you, because you well you would have at they least, would have the at large yeah. and then you get the Ramblers in. Because I think Drake is still a bubble team. Even I though too. they're
5: as good as they are, they should be in. There's no doubt about it. I, I would agree. Um but The big picture of the NCAA tournament, I I said, and he's been on these committees. He's served in every type of role with the NCAA basketball committee. And I I asked him, I said, man, this year, boy, that committee has got to do their their homework harder than ever because you have to look at not only, Randy, are you looking at the teams that are on the bubble? So, for instance, take a look at SLU and you say, okay, well, they were hit with COVID. they, They missed a month. And then you say, okay, they came back. And then what did they do? Well, they played X amount of games. And then you look at teams and you say, well, was the entire team out? No, well, the, the Player X was out. Well, who was Player X? Well, Player X was their best team, our best player on the team. Oh, wow. Okay, well, where did they have to go? Well, they had to travel on this one. Okay, well, was there some fans in the stand? Well, yeah, there was on the road. There were some fans in the stands. Well, that's like a true road game. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like playing on a neutral floor where there's nobody in the, on the, in, in the, in the uh, seats. I mean, you got to really look at how teams were this year than ever. I just think it's going to be extremely difficult to figure out who are the best teams literally this year in college basketball. And by the way, how about Michigan State? Tom uh-huh. Izzo is going to get in again this yeah. year and he's going to squeak in, I bet. And it's just amazing how he does it every single year. He's going to have these quad one wins. Right. Big tens of a great conference again, but he got a huge win over the weekend and they're going to wind up getting in, I bet. Right. And right now, Lenardi has... One of the last four yep. buys, so
4: 61 through 64. And Drake is one of the last four teams in, according to Lenardi. Let's touch on Illinois uh, because Boy, are they good. Those, those two wins, their last two wins, Michigan and Ohio State, uh, and Brad Underwood has said it, and I agree, probably the best two wins in the country all year long for anybody. And a number one seed and a team that has
5: a legit chance to win it all. You think they're number one seed? I think they are. I, I do too. I, I think they get in as a number one seed um, I, I would think that as it pertains for uh, to Mizzou, get one win in the tournament, beat Georgia, and mm-hmm. then you're higher. You don't want to play in that 8-9. You don't want to be in the no. – if you get that 6 or a 7, and I think if they get one win in the SEC tournament, then they're probably looking at yeah. a, a better seed. But they need one more, more win because the other thing that the tournament does is how are you playing in the final couple of weeks – of your season mm-hmm. and you just mentioned the numbers Mizzou's not playing great here down the stretch and that's going to hurt them and right now Linardi has Mizzou as a number 8 seed St.
4: Bonaventure is number 9 that's mm. his matchup with them right now the other number 9's that he has are UConn who's played great down the stretch and they just gave Hurley a contract extension Yep. North Carolina is listed as a 9 Florida is listed as a 9 So, unbelievable. And they, won't, they won't match up Mizzou and Florida in the first round but the, there's going
5: to be some pretty good blue blood programs that are going to be right there playing those eight, nine games. Did you read, uh, I don't know if you saw this, Pat Forty has a great article on a young man that is from Kentucky. uh, And it's from one of the players. It's a generational kid that was on Rick Pitino's, one of his teams in the late eighties when he turned it around, whether or not Rick Pitino will recruit this kid. He's a high school legend kid, and they're not sure if he's a pro, but he's a high school legend already in, like, the mountains of wherever, in Kentucky or whatever. And does he change his recruiting to stop doing one and duns after what's happened mm-hmm. in Kentucky this year? They're, they're under 500. they They're not going to the tournament. And it, the, the basic premise of what he was saying is, does the fan base, if you're, if you're going to be a one-and-done program, at Kentucky. If so this you're, is a Calipari? Yeah. Talk- okay. Yeah. He says, uh, what did I say? Patino. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, this is Patino's player from way back when in the 80s. Got it. It's yeah. his son. Now. Okay. Got okay, it. Yeah. So, and it's uh, his, you follow me here? Yeah, I got okay. it. Okay. Yep. They have a, a kid that's coming through that's a high school legend now that's an unbelievable kid, probably not a pro, but his legendary status in the state of Kentucky where Patino really has a recruited mm-hmm. and he is, and they're basically saying Pat 40 is saying in this and I'm paraphrasing, but in this article, does he stop doing the one and dones to appease the fan base to bring in a Kentucky kid? Or do you say, this is how I recruit I'm one and done. And the one and done fan base will live with you when you get into the NCAA tournament and you win, or does he stop doing that and start recruiting and building up the program to actually build it up for two- and three- and four-year kids.
4: I'm always taking the one-and-done. if does that makes sense, what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, it does. Uh, because you want to build a program like Izzo has or what Majerus built. You want to have veteran players. That's that's how you've won. But the one-and-dones, it's been a minute now for Kentucky and for Duke
5: to well, be— Well, Duke had a kid, what, three weeks ago that said, I'm out.
4: Yeah. He opted right, out. Right. So the, the one-and-dones— it, you can't sustain anything it's because you you've got a different team every year That's why I think it's great to have two seniors, two juniors, two sophomores, two freshmen, so that you can stagger it, which is kind of like what Slough has going SLU right has now. it right now and that that's Izzo's philosophy it was majeris's philosophy i If I were coaching,
5: that'd be the way I would go to well, if you're one and done, this season is a nightmare because you couldn't yeah. get your kids on campus then they finally get on campus, you start up late. So those kids really weren't acclimated to your program nor your coaches. I mean, obviously you've been around them, but you weren't getting them on the floor to your system. And so when you looked at teams that had guys that had, you know, if you look at your mid-majors, those were the ones that were making hay this year. Now, it took a while for the one-and-dones to Mm -hmm. get going because they had to get acclimated to college basketball. Right. And that's the difference this season. And in most of the country, because most
4: of the— Big recruiting takes place at AAU, and there wasn't any during right. the summer because of the pandemic. Right. So can you properly evaluate kids as
5: one and duns for next season? It's almost impossible. I, I think so, too. I, I just, if you're one-and-dones and you win, you can live with it. But if you don't win, yeah. Well, yeah. how short is that leash? Even with, that with, even with Calipari. Right. That's
4: Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, today's big thing. Adam Wainwright is having a great spring for the Cardinals we're going to talk about what he brings to the team outside of what's on the mound. Next on 101 ESPN.
3: We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
4: Adam Wainwright pitched very well for the Cardinals yesterday down in Florida and Dan... He is a shining star for the Cardinals beyond the the fact that he's just such a good pitcher. And the Cardinals, every fifth day during the regular season, can count on Adam Wainwright to go out and give them a good outing. But he's also a guy that, when you have a group of young pitchers, is really somebody, if they're a smart young pitcher, for them to look to. To look up to and say, okay, I want to emulate him And if I do that, I have a much better chance of succeeding. And he's
5: willing to share it. That's the other part of it. Not everybody in any sport at his age is willing to share the knowledge. Now, you would hope that leadership would do that. Not everybody does. And he wants to do that. And it's not like he's going to those young players and saying, hey, by the way, you need to do this. This is what I see. You got to do this. You go to him, and he's willing to share it. And that's the beauty of him. It's interesting.
4: I asked him last week if he's a better pitcher now. Because everybody, when they start, they're a thrower. And then you become a pitcher. And I asked him if he's a better pitcher now than he's ever been. And he said, really, 2014 was his sweet spot when his physical abilities and his mental abilities meshed at the perfect time. And he said, that's one of the things. He'll stand in the outfield during BP and talk to a guy like Flaherty about how make sure that by the time your physical abilities start to diminish a little bit, that your mental game is as good as it can be. Pay attention, and Flaherty's as good as anybody with the mental aspect of pitching. But, Wayne, was going to all these young pitchers and saying, there's going to come a time where you're going to reach the sweet spot where you're going to feel like you can do everything physically and, if you're prepared enough, mentally you'll be on top of your
5: game too, and that's when you'll be at your absolute best. I watched a game yesterday and it was like this is unreal. This guy just knows what he's doing, and he's just kind of toying with guys. It was three innings against the A lineup of the Astros. Mm-hmm. He struck out five lefties, righties, and he just knows what he's doing. He's placing the ball where he want, He can cut it. He's a craftsman, isn't he? That's the, the, the right way to put it. And so it's just fun to watch. I mean, the guy knows how to pitch as opposed to throw, which is what you're talking about. And last year as you know he threw more than any
4: other cardinal starter and we wonder if those innings last year will help him for 2021
7: uh you never know it's those things are weird sometimes um sometimes a a couple of guys will have you know kind of mediocre bad starts in a row and then you're going the next guy and in the back of your mind you're going all right i want to I want to get things going right, but then you put a little more pressure on yourself and then all of a sudden you end up giving up two or three spots in the first instead of being able to separate each and every inning and every pitch um, and forget about what's happened in the past. I, I think uh, it comes with the experience, you know. Some some guys are are going to be better at doing that during the season than they are in spring training. But right now it's it's good practice um, to to learn how to get these guys out and to have short innings and whatnot but i like i told a couple of our guys the other day i've never seen a a spring training statistic on the back of a baseball card or in an arbitration case so no reason to panic yet but we do need to make some adjustments and attack hitters a little bit better
5: efficiently too and and he knows i think the other part of this randy is that to stay in games it's not all about strikeouts and believe me strikeouts are great if you get them they pile up as we talked about earlier in the show he's closing in on 2000 for his career part of that is longevity but look at the left side of his infield. Look at the right side of his infield look at the outfield look at the guy that he's throwing to so using his defense pitching to contact using his sinker those are all things that he's doing right now and one thing that the cardinals really have and by the way
4: seems to be going by the wayside last year they lost dakota hudson doesn't seem like miles michaelis is in great shape this morning mike schilt saying he's got a creaky shoulder in addition to the forearm surgery Mm. that he had but the cardinals do have a lot of pitching depth
7: yeah, well, I think you saw last year with how many guys made starts for us and all those double headers that we have tons of depth. We have really, really good uh, big league arms. You know, we could have we could have fielded two starting rotations in the big leagues last year. I'm convinced of it. We lost Gomer, but you know, this year we got Alex Reyes in a position where he might be able to start. I don't know what they're going to do with Alex, but he's he's right there. Da- Daniel Ponceleon obviously is a good starter. So we, we have guys that can that can uh, that can hold the fort down or even be Great quality starters themselves that are just waiting in the wings, waiting for that opportunity. So, you know, a guy g- goes down; somebody else got to step up. And, and right now, Miles is on the is on the on the way back. I think he's going to start throwing bullpens tomorrow, or the next day, or something like that. They said, and then he's supposed to be good to go. But I, I think you'll see our our starting rotation get crisper as the game as the spring wears on, as they get more innings. Carlos pitched great over in the Caribbean series. We know he's. He's got some, some quality innings in him, and, and uh, I don't think anybody's really worried about Jack or any of the other guys either. we just got to go out and, and make quick innings and get ahead and make it easier on ourselves. Like right now, uh, a few of our guys are just making it a little tougher than it needs to be. It's already hard enough.
4: And, Dan, I- I'm looking at my roster, and then I'm looking at the guys who I don't have on my roster, Oviedo, Woodford, Libertor, Zach Thompson, plus Elledge, Junior Fernandez, uh, Quezada, Whitley, perhaps, uh, you're going to have a pretty good group of pitchers that aren't on your major league roster.
5: Well, four of the guys you just mentioned probably are at Memphis in that rotation, ready to come up at any point in time. Whitley could make your major league roster depending on what, you know, the news with Michaelis really changes potentially what your your starting rotation looks like. I've got Martinez in my starting five one way or another. If he's not your fifth, he's your fourth. And then it's a battle, you know, with some different guys. Maybe Oviedo is in there. Um, you know, there's Ponce de Leon. Gantt. Gant, Gant would be another one. But then your bullpen is Hicks, Gallegos, Helsley, maybe Gant, Reyes. Whitley would be in there. It's it's pretty darn good. I mean, the, the, the options for this pitching staff are, are very good looking forward. I, I don't put a lot of stock into the first time through a rotation in spring training. It's more about coming out healthy and building up arm strength. As I get later towards spring training, I, I don't want to see what I saw the first week. It's got to get better, and I think it will. And from Waino's standpoint, is spring
4: training valuable as he heads into a regular season?
7: I've gone back and forth through the years, right? Like, uh, I know early on I wanted to try to lead this spring in, 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 in innings. You know, I wanted to, that was my goal. I was going to try to lead all of baseball in spring training innings just to try to get me in, on the right track for the season. I think that's good practice because maybe. Four or five years ago, I got into the habit of, all right, I'm just going to go out and work on this today and flush results down the tube. But um, I do think that there's a, a case to be made that, you know, when you, you practice like you play, you play like you practice. And I'm going to go out and, and practice exactly like I'm trying to play. You know, I'm going to try to get as, a, ahead of as many hitters as I can. I'm going to try to work them and, and put them on the defensive as fast as I can, change speeds, change locations. You know, and grind mentally, be in it mentally, not not just go through the motions. Mentally be in it in every pitch. That's the key, I think. And there's a lot to be
4: said for being prepared for September. When you aren't pitching at your best, and your your prime time for a pitcher is you hit Memorial Day, June, July, August. And you hope that you still have stamina left for September. But right now, you're building up to be a pitcher. And that's what he's talking about is Like we talked about, being a craftsman and making good pitches when you don't have your best stuff. It
5: also depends who you are. So if you're John Gant, for instance, you're trying to make the rotation. Trying to get people out. Yeah, and and you're trying to get a job where if you're Adam Wainwright, and when I say a job, I mean in the rotation, you're going to have one of the 26 spots on the roster. If you're Adam Wainwright, you, you may be working on something or trying to refine something where if you're John Gant, every time that you throw a pitch you're not trying to give and no one's trying to give up a home run don't get me wrong or, or hard hit balls but I mean you're, you're trying to make sure you're establishing yourself and proving yourself that you need to be one of the guys that they're looking at as the fifth guy in that rotation so there's different roles for each guy that goes and takes the ball and for a guy like Gantt another part of it is
4: being efficient if you're Absolutely. in the bullpen you can nibble but Gantt for lack of a better term he's been pigeonholed as a bullpen guy and personally, he, Randy, I like him in the bullpen. He can do anything for you. He can start. He can give you five out of the bullpen. He can close. He can be a bridge guy. I, I, I like him anywhere. But he wants to start. So what he's got to do is show them that, okay, I can throw a 15-pitch inning, which he, we know he can do. But on a regular basis, he's gotta, he has got He can't be what Michael Walker became, where...
5: He's having these thirty pitch innings all the time. It's got but here's why I like Gantt. Look at his ground ball percentage the last two years. His sinker usage was increased mightily. So when you think about a guy that comes out of the bullpen, a lot of times it's with a runner at first, and what do you want? Mm-hmm. You want a double ground play. ball, you want the double play. Uh you want a guy that can clean up an inning. And the second time through and the third time through with a starter and I I understand analytics will tell you, don't let a guy go a third time through, i.e. Michael Walker. He got hammered. That happens with John Gant historically in his career. That's why I like him in the bullpen. Now that may change if he's a starter this year, things change year to year, but man, I love him in the bullpen. It's just, he has been so good. And you're right, pigeonholed. And maybe I'm the guy that's doing it, but it's, it's, I hate saying this. I, I am pigeon-holding him in that role because he's been he, so good. I don't he's mean, valuable. Yeah. I don't mean to 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 blackball him okay. in that role. It's just
4: he's been so good in that role. And even if you don't have Michaelis, if you have a starting rotation of Flaherty, Wainwright, KK, Carlos, and uh, Ponce de Leon, you you can't – he might be better than any of those guys or the the back two, the fourth and the fifth. But you can't say that. There there are no guarantees. So if if you're the Cardinals, you have to say, okay, where does he best serve our team? Even though it might not be the best thing for his
5: long-term earning power, he best serves the club being in the bullpen. Well, think about if you have these three guys, Cabrera, John Gant, and Alex Reyes giving you multiple innings coming out of the bullpen. Are you best served with those three? And Ponce maybe as a starter? I I think maybe you are. Or Oviedo as a starter I, I kind of like that I, I just you know again going back to, to John Gant with his sinker and with his ground ball usage or sinker usage and ground ball percentage that, that's where I think he's best served I really do that's Dan I'm Randy coming up next
4: on 101 ESPN and by the way that's today's big thing Blues and Sharks tonight what are the Blues looking ahead to against San Jose that's coming your way with in and Smallman Danny Mack in for Michelle on 101 ESPN we are right back to the Character
3: and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
4: Our friend Zach Collins from Schnooks just stopped by. Always good to see Zach. He's one of our favorite people. And. Schnooks does have their Irish Cheers and Guinness Beers event coming up on Sunday. You can learn more at schnooks.com. Just go to their uh, cooking class section and get involved. It's really cool. It's great. And oh, it's Zach, great. Is, Zach is a great guy. Blues and Sharks tonight. You, we have the pregame for you with Brandon Kylie at 7 o'clock, the faceoff with Curbs and Joey at 8, and
1: Craig Berube on taking on San Jose again. You know, we've got a day to recuperate tomorrow, get some rest, and then, uh, you know, get in there and put a solid game against San Jose together. And, uh, you know, it would be one hell of a trip. It really
4: would, Dan. And I said this to Chris Kerber, and I I really believe this. Before the stretch of 10 games against California teams started, you had San Jose, you had Anaheim, you had uh, L.A. Before it started, I, I figured, okay, the Blues needed 15 points. If with all of the injuries that they have incurred, they can get through this stretch with 13 points, I will be a happy camper. Now, you're really going to have a tough schedule coming up, but get through
5: this with 13 points, and I think you'll be all right. How about 13 points, man? I didn't think that they would get through that. I thought if they played near 500, that's a good trip and then you get Tarasenko back, that's kind of the icing on the cake, mm-hmm. and then you get back home, get the guys back home literally in their own beds and regroup, then that's okay. I'm all right with that. You got Vegas coming up. You get Tarasenko back in the lineup. All right, that's a good trip but uh, or a good stretch of games. And they've got a really tough stretch of games coming up towards the end of the month. But and then now, April is devastating. It is. And, but now to have him back, and if you can get the two points tonight, that is a remarkable trip. It really is. Yeah. The,
4: the bottom three teams in this division are the California teams. The top three teams, well, let's say the top four, are the Blues, Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota. In April... And you still have more games against the California teams coming up in the last three weeks of this month in April, you only have Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota Oof. you don 't face Oof. any of the california teams now that 's why you have to make hay in the rest of march you 've got this game against San Jose. then three days off, get some practice, work on your special teams. Then you have special Vegas teams' been better though they have they 're getting better and better, and so you 've got Vegas here, then you go out to l a and San Jose again, then you 're at Vegas. And that's when the the tough part starts, a game at Minnesota and then Anaheim before you get into April. Now, the Sharks are pesky. They only play one-goal games against the Blues. And Braden Shen knows that's what the Blues are going to be dealing
1: with tonight. Absolutely, um, you know, especially with um, you know guys being banged up and guys coming in doing a, a good job, um, you know, with the opportunity given, and uh, we have a chance to make this uh, a heck of a road trip, and, and San Jose, uh, I'm sure, is not going to be, you know, happy uh, with uh, the last time they played us, so we're going to expect a tough game um, going into the rink.
4: And like Dan said, the special teams are getting better, especially on the road. The Blues special teams have been much more effective than at home. And he says, especially getting Vladdy back, it's going to be a process rather than an event. So we we aren't going to hear from Schenner, but that's definitely what the case is going to be for the Blues power play. And as we mentioned, it's been better than it has been recently. And... If you can get the special teams going, and by the way, with those top six forwards, it should be a really strong special teams unit, especially the power play unit. They have a chance to do some damage
5: against teams like Vegas and Colorado. By the way, do you think there's going to be a carryover with what happened with Bennington? I do. I would think from there, they kind
4: of laughed it off, San Jose did. They know that he's really competitive and he's got... A little wackiness in him, and the Blues players were fired up by it. So I don't think
5: they're. I don't think he'll do anything, and I don't think they'll do anything because he really didn't hurt anybody. I know, but I think when you have that kind of situation, and if you got under his skin in the last game, and you have those kind of scrums in front, don't think for a second that that's not being talked about in the the pregame meeting about hey, if you can jab at him, jostle him, yep, you go at him. Well, and they certainly do want to.
4: Trigger him. They That's want, what I mean. They want him to do the same thing. So, from that perspective, yes, I can absolutely see
5: that. Which kind of adds to an intrigue of a middle of the season game, which is fun. And don't think for a second tonight, on both telecasts, on the San Jose side and the Blue side, you know, last time that we saw these two teams met, <laughs> Jordan Bennington went off. It's going to be talked about, and it's going to be talked about with Evander Kane. It's going to be talked about mm-hmm. with Bennington. It's it, that kind of adds a little. I think. It's great. I think it is. I love it. I mean, how many times do you see a goaltender do that and then go after the other goaltender? This is hockey. Yes. That's (laughs) what I love about it. It makes it fun. (laughs) And
4: and we've got the action for you tonight. Blues and Sharks, 7 o'clock pregame and an 8 o'clock faceoff here on your Home of the Blues 101 ESPN. Coming up, do the Cardinals have another prospect that might be making his way to the major leagues? We'll tell you our opinion next on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
4: Attention runners, you can join Michelle Smallman in participating in the Michelob Ultra Seltzer Virtual 5K this month. Just 25 bucks to sign up and proceeds benefit Pedal the Cause. By signing up, you're going to receive a premium Ultra Seltzer running shirt and then complete your run anytime in March. Get more details and get signed up for the Michelob Ultra Seltzer virtual 5K now at 101espn.com. That's the kind of run that I like to do as a virtual one. Yeah, you could uh, virtually cheat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right up your alley. Well, I could be a Rosie Ruiz kind of thing. I I could participate in the 5K, but not actually run. That's why I would like it, because it's virtual. Well, you could walk, crawl, mm-hmm. stop,
5: say you did it, still get the medal. That's what it's all about for me. No, get Randy, don't do that. No, 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 no. Don't do that. I want to be a winner, Dan. I, I know want you want to be a, be a winner, but you cannot do that. Make sure you don't do that. Okay. Uh, you can
4: learn more at 101ESPN.com. Derek Gould had an interesting piece about former first-round draft choice Delvin Perez yesterday at stltoday.com. And if you picked up the the Sunday post, and according to the piece, Delvin Perez has reemerged as a prospect For the Cardinals. He was drafted by them five years ago with their number one pick, and he got down to 161 pounds at one point, couldn't hit for any power at all, played most of his career in that 170-173 pound range, but during this past offseason has bulked up to 195 pounds and apparently is hitting the ball hard while still playing a decent shortstop. Should we look at Perez
5: as a potential future Cardinal? Well, I I look at it this way. I I do give him credit. He's only 22. Mm -hmm. So I give him credit for understanding that maybe this is a crossroads for him in his Cardinals career at year five. And by this point in his career, he should be at the cusp of AAA, if not higher. Um, And he is using a heavier bat to try to generate a little bit more power. He can pick it. He He's worked hard with Jose Okendo over the years. They've, they've gotten him with individual instruction with Jose. I know that for a fact, and I've talked to Jose about it. He says he's a good defender. He's got good range. It's just he hasn't hit. Um, And, and then, obviously, last year slowed the progression of so many of these kids because they didn't have a chance to, to play and compete in the minor leagues. He was not at the satellite camp, which that does concern me if you're not invited to that yeah. camp, which was the top prospect camp. And maybe that was again eye opening for him to not get that uh invite and have an understanding that, hey, maybe this organization is not high on me and I've got to make some changes. So I, I do think that that to him is a you know a compliment that to understand that in his career at this point he's got to make some changes. And, Dan, and he's done that. He was a guy that could have been a top five pick overall in the draft.
4: He tested positive for a PED. The Cardinals got him with the 23rd pick. But here's where he comes in. In Major League Baseball Pipeline's top 30 Cardinal prospects, there's only two middle infielders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mason Wynn, who's also a right-handed pitcher, right, and then Edmundo Sosa, who is uh, obviously in camp and has an opportunity. Otherwise, the Cardinals do aren't loaded with guys that are highly regarded on the middle infield. So if he does improve, he can make a dent. And at the very least, the Cardinals could use him as trade bait.
5: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of teams will look at a former top pick and say, if you're going to move that player, maybe he needs a change of scenery. And he was high on our board. We'll take a chance on him. That's the kind of guy we're interested in. We need middle infield depth at some part in our system. Those kind of things happen all the time. And again, he's only 22, so there's talent there. We saw talent. You obviously saw talent. You drafted him high. We'll take a chance on him. Again, I I don't think the Cardinals want to give up on him just yet. I mean, he's so young. And the fact that the Cardinals do not have a lot of depth in their middle infield situation. They've they've got Rondon, who we've seen in some of the minor league games, hit a home run, three-run shot the other day, uh, who does have some major league experience. Mason Wynn is a long ways away, and as you said, also a pitcher, and Edmundo Sosa is out of options, so he's going to be probably with the big league club. If you're going to keep him, he's got to be with the the major league club, so there is a chance to progress through the system this year. And it's opened up an opportunity, because there wasn't one at third base, for Nolan Gorman to become a middle infielder yeah. now. How about that, huh? Well, if Nolan Gorman is going to stick around in his Cardinal career, it's going to be in the outfield or second base. And from what I've seen, he's made three dazzling plays at third base. I mean, really good plays at third base. And a couple of years ago and watching Nolan Gorman, you could see he was really raw defensively. And he's already made vast improvements defensively at third base. So if you had an issue at third base with Nolan Arenado and you needed to make a call to bring him up, I'd have no problem putting Nolan Gorman at third base. Looked awfully good. It's another amazing thing about the Arenado trade to me. The the Rockies got
4: five players, and they gave up fifty million dollars and didn't get that guy. Uh, right? How do you not? I, I don't I'm get If I'm going to get one, if if I, I would, I've thought that too, I would rather
5: have Gorman than the five guys they got. I have thought the same thing. If I'm going to get a guy, he's the guy. He has got power. He's got what you can't teach, which is raw power, which is what everybody's looking for. I've seen him play defense already. It's there. Now, that, too, may meet, may need some refining. I, mean, I don't see it every day, but I've seen enough to show me it's there. Yeah, he's the guy, and you didn't have to give him up. That's incredible. That's amazing. It is. All right, I
4: want to touch on one other thing before we wrap up with the Cardinals, and that is the bullpen. Okay, we, we both agree, tell me if you do agree, that they're going to have nine relievers and you and I both at the moment... So you're going with a four-man bench? I am. Okay. Yeah. At the moment, because we're both thinking, if you haven't heard yet, uh, the manager, Mike Schilt today saying that uh, Miles Michaelis has a creaky shoulder. So I'm going to leave Michaelis out of my rotation. So my rotation right now is Flaherty, Wayno, KK, Martinez, Ponce de Leon. Okay. I'll go with Ponce. Okay. For argument's sake. Yeah, these guys are going to be on the staff. And then in the bullpen, my right-handers are Hicks, Gallegos, Helsley, Gant, and Reyes. My left-handers are Miller, Cabrera, and Webb. So those are eight of my nine. Who is my ninth reliever? And I've got Seth Elledge. I've got Junior Fernandez. I've got the newcomer, Kezada who's massive. I've got Cody Whitley. You could put... Jake Woodford down there, uh, the other Rondone Angel, Oviedo, uh, and uh, yeah, I mentioned Elledge. So of that group, and to- let's throw Tommy Parsons in there too,
5: of that group, who do you think is your number nine? I'd probably look at Cody Whitley, um, who had a scoreless outing with a couple of strikeouts on Friday against Houston, really made an impression last year. I think Jake Woodford would be intriguing as well because he's given you... The option to give you multiple innings. The other thing, though, about Woodford is that you could put him in the rotation in Memphis to give you protection potentially if you're, uh, you know, if you got some issues with your starting rotation. Probably those two, but I I really like Whitley, Randy. I I, they they are high on him. He was really good last spring. He was good last year in the big leagues when he got a shot. Now there's going to be some bumps in the road. He's a young guy, but I, I like him a lot. I really do. In a different style. Tommy Parsons is giving us a Kyle
4: McClellan spring. Yeah. He's emerged from nowhere, pitched in three games, four and a third. He hasn't allowed a run. He struck out five. And I'm going to go with Tommy Parsons to win that job.
5: So you have room on the Mm 40-man. And you're going to have to transfer Dakota Hudson to the 60-day. So you're going to have another spot on your your, uh, uh, 40-man roster pop up. And I think they have room anyway at this point. Parsons, you know, what's interesting to that effect is um, the, in this spring training, I, I didn't know if there'd be a guy that would emerge that would catch your attention because there's so few innings mm-hmm. where normally you have somebody that emerges and you go, oh, like last year, it was Cody Whitley. He got a shot. You kind of heard about him. He made a, a rapid rise to the minor leagues the previous season, and the major league staff says, we want to see this guy. Let's let Now we have our own eyes on him we can hear about him we could get the reports we can read them and but now we get to see him and tommy parsons has made enough of an impression i don't know if he would break camp but i think he's made enough of an impression at least initially where you'd say hey if there's a need let's go get that guy because he's doing one thing that a lot of other guys that are young don't do he throws strikes right he throws strikes, and that's what we need. We need somebody to come in and give us some innings that he cleans him up, and he's not going to walk the ballpark, and he's not scared. That's the other thing. A lot of young guys come up, and we saw that last year with all the debuts. Guys pick. They think, okay, I, I've got, man, I made it through single A, double A, triple A, and now here I am at the major leagues, and I'm facing Jose Abreu, and I'm facing Christian Yelich, and I'm facing these guys that I've been watching, and i got to pick. Tommy Parsons isn't doing that. He's just throwing strikes, and it's great to watch, you know, and yep. that's what you have to do yep. to be competitive. And, Dan, by my, by my count right
4: now, the Cardinals have 39. They started camp with 38 and then got Kezada, So they have 39, and that includes uh, Dakota Hudson still being on the
5: 40-man. So right. essentially they have 38 and two spots available for non-roster guys. Parsons would be interesting. So, And you need the, you know what, you're, at some point, especially this year, with the lack of innings last year, and I hate saying this, across the board in Major League Baseball, you may see more injuries with pitching yeah. than you ever had. You may yeah. get it. You, you don't know. I, I've read articles about that where some of the experts feel that you're going to have more injuries this year than you ever had with pitching. I absolutely think that that's going to be the case. So you may need guys like Tommy
4: Parsons. So, By the way, 14 pitchers, and that leaves me only a dozen position players. So my four-man bench. Carpenter from the left side. At the moment. Mm-hmm.
5: Kisner, I, your backup catcher. Uh, do you think he's guaranteed a spot? Well, here's here's why I think now more than ever. What's the point if you're going to have a delayed triple A season? Right. So you might as well have him be your backup and get the and occasional start. Just have Sanchez as a,
4: a, part a, of your satellite team. Right. Or whatever. And then two outfielders. And right Lane now, Thomas. Thomas and uh Williams or your backup uh, infielder or Sosa, Dean. yeah, and then Sosa's. Sosa I, I be like your backup. I, but then you lose Sosa. But I don't think anybody's going to pick him up. I don't think anybody will take. I if if I lose him on waivers, that it, it's so. It, it who's happens. your backup infielder then?
5: Rondone. So Rondone would be your backup yeah. infielder. Okay, gotcha. Yeah.
4: And then, uh, it, it, I can keep Carpenter around if I need to. Mm-hmm. As and I've got Gorman as a possibility as a backup infielder, too. That would be interesting.
5: But he can't be a backup. He's, he's, he's got to play. play. Right. right.
4: So, so there you have it, uh, your roster on March 8th from uh, Dan and Randy. And things change every day.
5: Don't they? Because we yeah. got to find out what's going on with Michaelis. That changes your pitching staff. Yeah. And we will, I think, learn more today because he was supposed to throw, and we don't know if he's going to or
4: not. All right. Coming up, Dan is going to be joined by BK at the top of the hour. We're going to close out this show next on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
5: I'm taking it back because, uh, and Randy's not happy about this because I the, drive this show. I know you do, but this is the only time I'm doing it. Cause the six one eight says Randy isn't a cheater, Dan. He did the 75 hard challenge for almost a week. Talking about the virtual no. 5k
4: in, in fairness to me, I did 75 hard for, for a week, like 27 days. No, I did, I you did really? it for almost a month. But then we had a day where it was like uh, nice day. No, it, it was like 29 degrees oh, and it had raining. To be a, yeah, okay. And I didn't want to do the outdoor uh, Aspect exercise. Of yeah, okay. So I said to hell with this. Yeah. And so yeah, I like you. You bailed. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I admitted that I bailed. I'm not mentally tough enough to do it. I think you are. I think if you put your mind to it, you could do it. If I would start 75
5: hard today. With the weather being better, I could do it. I could I not do it in the cold rain. Doesn't it, it, this weather, doesn't it change your mindset to go out and do some exercise or whatever? A hundred percent. Go out and play a little golf. Yeah. So I got to get, a, I went
4: out and hit balls yesterday and I started playing, I, I didn't really start playing golf until I was 25. So every year when I start off, I need a tune up. I don't have a natural
5: swing. Man, did, I was just terrible on the range. It's I was. Right. I was Ranger Randy. I went out and uh, walk, uh, walked and uh, run about five miles after the game yesterday. That's fantastic. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, it felt great. It's good. Weather was beautiful yeah. outside. Love being outside. Dan, 50
4: years ago today, Joe Frazier beat Muhammad Ali in a unanimous decision. Ali was coming back from his suspension by the boxing councils, and Frazier retained his heavyweight boxing title at Madison Square Garden. It was the first of three fights between the two. This one, one was called the Fight of the Century, and
5: what a great trilogy Ali and Frazier were. I watched the uh, documentary, I guess, if you want to call that. The HBO that, one? I watched that one. And then ESPN last night, uh, when I wasn't watching the Royals, which actually I didn't watch, but is um, a prelude to the pregame to the Royals, uh-huh. was Ali and Frazier, of course. So who wouldn't watch that Into oh, yeah. the Oprah show? Uh, that was on last night. It was fantastic. But they had some of the, the cut-ins of those that recalled it. They had historical footage of interviews leading into the fight. Ali was sh- such a showman. I, we I, Not that I forget, the, the, he was just awesome. He was. He was He's just awesome. And it, not that I forget. I mean, go back on, you know, for our young listeners, go back and YouTube him. Yeah. He was the original showman in many ways of of just awesome TV, the interviews leading into the fight, how great he was, being at the hotel where he was training and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. It was awesome, Randy. I I just enjoyed the hell out of it, watching that, and then watching the fight. And the fight was amazing, too. I mean, if you're an MMA fighter uh, or enjoy MMA fighting, watch that fight. I mean, it was just a great boxing match. It was amazing seeing those two go at it.
4: Ali had the ability, the amazing ability to... Use his glove to cut an opponent's face. And there were so many people that ended fights with Ali just with
5: completely bloodied faces. It was really disgusting in a way. What did uh, I was trying to think of this? What's the last boxing match that you really wanted to sit down and watch? It was uh, Pacquiao Mayweather. Yeah, me too. That's the last, I was thinking about it last night. That's the last one I, I was following leading into it. And uh, was interested in following the the build up to it because I, I've I've always felt like Showtime and HBO did a great job of mm-hmm. like the road to whatever they would call that the road to and the, and they had behind the scenes yeah. of the training um, it was fun to watch to see how they trained and to, to, the visits with the trainers and you saw behind the scenes with their family and the home life um i enjoyed that i never tried to miss a tyson fight i always used to watch mike great mike tyson was must see tv yeah i always watched him i just i was fascinated with mike tyson loved him it's one of the reasons i tune into the fight here well you are a dominant fighter have you tallied up over the years your record we have not maintained a record no what do you think it is what's your winning percentage probably in the 900 range you think it's that high
4: I, I would say I would probably win nine out of 10. Do you two, think you're
5: nine out of 10?
4: I think so. Is that right? Yeah. My goodness. So. Mike Ryder has been around for the entirety of the fight. Would you say about 90%? Yeah, he's he agrees. Oh, yeah. Sure, Randy. Yeah. I love you. You're the best. <laughs> you're, you do such a great job, Randy. We're so yeah. happy to have you. Hey, uh, 101 ESPN and our state. Mike's fellow, turning red behind his mask. He's the best. Uh, 101 ESPN and our brother and sister stations down the hall are all competing in app madness this March because corporate told us to, so we're doing it. You would have done it anyway. So how can we convince you to download and use the 101 ESPN mobile app at least one time this March? We've loaded up the app with a bunch of giveaways. That's how we want you to join us with the app. You can win a Traeger Grill $500 in cash, a replica Nolan Arenado jersey, and much more. The 101 ESPN mobile app. Get it, use it, and help us try to win this Dumb App Madness competition against our other Hubbard stations. Be careful when you read that promo. Why? App.
5: App Madness. Dumb App. Just making sure. Okay. Make sure you stay on the air. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. uh, You're always looking out for me, Uh, sir. You know I love you. You're one of my best friends in the world. Just say Dumb App. Dumb App. Yeah, Uh, and by the way, I would say I've had some slips along the way on you know some things. Well, I had one on Friday that came out. (laughs) It
2: was great. We just
5: rolled right over it. Yeah, it it, it just slipped. It didn't mean to. You know, a couple words. You never know. So the
4: question is often asked: If you were going to have a fire in your home, what's the first thing that you would grab? And my children. Oh yeah, you know
5: you got those people. I was thinking about my Traeger. Right. How about some loved ones? Okay, yeah, them. Yeah. How about your wife, Randy? Yeah, that's... You You and Joan did not go I.O., but still you she probably... She refused. I know. I, look, that's fine. She didn't want to go Instagram official, but you probably want the wife and the kids. Yeah. But I will say this. Among items that aren't living
4: beings, the Traeger Grill is right up among my favorite possessions.
5: Would, are you going to be able to take the Traeger Grill and throw it on your back? Probably not. No, I keep, no.
4: So, it's a, it's a hefty
5: thing. Here's the great thing about it. If something
4: happens to it, I can just <laughs> sign up with, for that 101 ESPN app and app
5: and get a free one. Yep. <laughs> what would be the one possession you'd get? You'd, we got the Traeger. Yeah.
4: No, it inside the house uh that's a we have a lot of photo albums still.
5: Yeah. So we would probably do that. I think that'd be mine. Yeah. yeah. Some do- some Photos of my kids and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That the, would be mine. That are completely irreplaceable. There's, now you got your phone. They're all on your phone. Yeah. Well, I, uh, great
4: gift idea. Uh, Libby's not listening, right? No. so Not a chance. So maybe like a Mother's Day. Uh-huh. For Valentine's Day, I got Joan a fantastic, it was like 150 bucks, uh, digital photo frame that you can send photos to from your phone. You just download the app. I did that for my mom. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's got an unlimited number. We've got more than a 1,000 pictures on it. And it rotates it all the time? It rotates all yeah. the time. So Libby would love that with kids' pictures and stuff. Yeah. So just idea
5: for everybody. Well, I'd have to get my dogs, too. Yeah, definitely. we got more dog pictures than anything else on this frame. Yeah. I, I Yeah, i definitely have to get uh, the dogs, the cat, and the kids. Yeah. And the wife. Yeah, it's a good thing to have. And she'll love it. So the whole family will love it. That's... I think if if we're going down in flames, she might leave me in there. She might. <laughs> oh, I forgot. <laughs> oh, shoot. Let's get Dan, guys. Eh, eh we're all right. Grab the frames. Uh, what's coming up with you, MBK? Uh, I'm sure just some hot takes. Okay. Yeah, hot love taking. It. Love it. You know.
4: Great job by our producer engineer today, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. And Michelle out today. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks Dan for coming in. This was awesome. You bet. I had a
5: great time. Oh, I love it. You
4: know that. Yeah. And uh, we will have Dan back with us <laughs> Thursday for the entire show for Thursday and Friday. Looking forward to it. Going to be great. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis.
8: Let me guess. Unknown caller. You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from ten popular people search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at Discover.com/slash online privacy protection
3: grab a 30-day free trial of live by live plus and you'll get unlimited skips commercial free music and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can
0: handle visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial
3: for the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase it's a culture and the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe for the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs